So, I have decided to make a decision right now, and I think you're going to like it. A decision that says, at SummerSlam, the Hardys and the Dudleys cannot interfere with tables and ladders in your match. Yeah! Hey, there you go! Long distance high five, guys! Come. Woo! <laughs> Finally, you see, decision. it's going to be impossible for them to interfere in your match with tables and ladders because they are going to be in your match. What? What do you mean by that, JR? I don't know. With tables and ladders. <laughs> and if I were you two dudes, I'd bring those chairs as well because it's SummerSlam. It's going to be Edge and Christian against the Hardys. Against the Dudleys. What? In a TLC match. What? TLC? What? Tender Love and Care? I don't Tables. Know. And ladders. And oh. chairs. Oh, no. Oh, my. Tables.
much I care about you. There seems to me like there's a little electricity between Stephanie and Kurt and I are just friends. Where is it written that a guy and a girl can't be just friends? Hello, my name is Chris White, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to August of the year 2000 to bring you all your WWF coverage, including a full review of SummerSlam. Joining me, we have this month, once again, Rory McNamara. Rory, great having you on once more. How are we doing? We're doing okay. Great to be here, as always, guys. And rounding off the month, uh, returning to the WWF side of things, we have Devinda Vargas. D, great having you back on the show again, uh, especially on the WWF side of things. How are you, good sir? Yo, yeah, everything's great. I'm so glad to be back. Excited for this show. It's going to be a good one. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, D, would you kindly lead Rory through our news headlines for the month? Definitely. Same Stone Cold time, new Stone Cold chat. Yes, the biggest news to emerge from Stanford this month is that Steve Austin has been medically cleared to return to WWF programming, and that includes in the ring. He met with Dr. Lloyd Youngblood at the start of the month, who told him that the gap between his fused vertebrae has come together sufficiently enough to be given the all-clear. He is on course to appear on the inaugural edition of Raw on TNN in the last week of September, with a view to lacing up the boots at No Mercy in October, and then going back to a full-time schedule up until WrestleMania 17 at the very earliest. It is said that Austin himself will be picking and choosing his spots as much as he is able to, which given his still very much live desire to get into acting full-time and the continuing parlous state of his knees would be a very wise move. That said, some changes to his character are being bandied about, including the very real possibility of returning as a heel. As there is a strong belief uh, in Federation circles that fans would boo a returning Stone Cold anyway. Yes, I know. Here are his own and somewhat non-committal views on the subject as expressed to the WWF website. I don't know when I'm going to pop up or how I'm going to pop up or why I'm going to pop up. We've still got to decide that and make sure everything's cool when I come back. There have been a lot of meetings and we're taking this very seriously, as we should, making sure that everything's right. Indeed. SummerSlam, blowing hot and cold. Yes, when we talk about mixed reviews on this show, we normally mean bad reviews across the board, but SummerSlam really has received, in the most literal sense, mixed reviews. I've seen some close to 9 and 10. 
I've seen some three or fours or even lower. We will, of course, give you our views a bit later on. But the big news to come out of SummerSlam, as it was held in Raleigh, North Carolina, on the 27th of August, was The Rock successfully defending the WWF Championship in a triple threat match against Triple H and Kurt Angle. A lot more to come out of that one, but we will discuss later on. But the show was stolen earlier on in the card when Edge and Christian won a monumental TLC match against the Hardy Boys and the Dudleys. An early, strong match of the year contender. I'm telling you that in the first five minutes of this show. Again, we will gladly break that one down for you later on. Oh, and Shane McMahon did something or other as well. From the highest peaks to the Ohio Valleys. Yes, one person not on the SummerSlam card, and he was initially meant to be, was the Big Show. He was unceremoniously and very rapidly pulled from TV this month and then swiftly demoted to Jim Cornette's Ohio Valley Wrestling. Apparently, such a move has been coming for a while, with Big Show's attitude a constant problem for management. Some might say that is where a 10-year, seven-figure guaranteed contract comes home to roost. His in-ring performances are also deemed to be poor, with a particular showing when teaming with Chris Benoit versus Undertaker and Kane, was described as embarrassing. There is no timetable for his return to the main roster, but with comments like this from The Undertaker to see him out of the door with, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Taker says this, show has a long way to go before he's good. In the interest of fairness. We must report that the Smackdown Your Vote campaign continues in earnest, with the WWF conducting an interview on air with Linda McMahon from the Democratic National Convention, following on from that at the Republican Convention we reported on last month. Uh, The Rock and China were again also in attendance. Uh, The attempts to get 14 million people to register to vote are off to a somewhat sluggish start, uh, with the current number only in the mid-five figures. This, of course, did not prevent the Federation from trumpeting this as cause for celebration on their programming. And in a sign that wrestling will never truly cross over, here is Time Magazine's Margaret Coulson regarding The Rock's appearance to represent the anti-black WWF, as she called it, and I quote, he represents the white skinhead hateful wrestling guys. Yes, The Rock. Jumping before they're pushed. Oh, I know, I know. Following on from our story in our WCW show this month, where the contracts of many roster members could be bought out, uh, the WWF have received many inquiries from various wrestlers looking to pitch up north. Marcus Bagwell, Dallas Page, his pal Canyon, and most intriguingly, or perhaps should that be bravely of all, Lex Luger have all put feelers out. Uh, the Federation would be especially keen on Page. Uh, Steve Austin, in his interview we talked about earlier, has made encouraging noises about working with him. But the Federation are concerned with the ostensibly extremely unpopular Kimberly also making the trip. And just to finish up, here's one to chew on, as reported in the Pro Wrestling Torch. One big-name WCW wrestler who used to work in the WWF called Vince McMahon directly, but McMahon redirected his call to Jim Ross, who McMahon has given the duty of deciding on roster additions and negotiating deals. Ooh, I wonder. Thank you very much, uh, Rory. Um, Excellently led through the news, as always. Um, Dee... The biggest stories there, I mean, that I want to focus on, really. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin being cleared to return. Absolutely massive news for the WWF. But um, what do you make of the idea that 
okay he's coming back next month um potentially all the way through to mania 17 next year but what like stone cold is a heel like that just sounds crazy to me after the last few years what's your take on it no i'm not i'm not gonna buy it if if they do i mean if they know it it's a business right stone cold is money so it might be fun to do as far as content and you know storylines but as far as money goes like we're all going to be confused and I don't, I don't see it happening. It's just, it's a confusing prospect to see Stone Cold as a heel because, tell you the truth, he is a heel that we cheer for anyway. So for him to do more heel tactics or, you know, abandon the fans with as much connection that he's had with them, um, if they go through with it, it'll be interesting to see, but I don't see it happening. Rory, what, what's your take on Stone Cold Steve Austin potentially coming back as a heel? Well, if they bring him back as a heel, I mean, they hope that, I saw nothing in the sheets about this, but I hope they haven't forgotten there are one or two, let's say, loose ends that need tying up. You know, the events of November 99 ring a bell. And what are they going to do? Have it that Steve Austin ran himself over? I probably wouldn't entirely put it past them, but I'm going to give them what slim benefit of the doubt there is that they wouldn't go that far. Uh, they are working under the assumption, this isn't everybody in the WWF, but it has been has been stated by one or two people who have remained nameless, wonder why, that Austin is not going to be warmly received when he returns. And I just find that completely baffling. Whether he comes back on the Raw, the TNN Raw, the first one, uh, during the Unforgiven pay-per-view, whether it is No Mercy, whenever it is, even if they waited another month for it to maximise the potential of him turning heel. It's not going to happen. He is not going to be booed upon his return. I can tell you that for nothing. Keep in the locker for some way down the line, perhaps. But even though I'm just tilting at windmills by saying that, I tell you this now, somebody like The Rock is not going to object. He's not going to think that Austin is making his pops diminish. The crowd love the both of them equally. Just look at the last two minutes of Backlash this year. If you need any reminding, Austin needs to come back. He needs to find out who ran him over, needs to raise hell. And at least for a while, that's going to be okay. During a few shows in 99, and even the Survivor Series 99-1 itself, we did raise the possibility that the Austin character was, if not quite outright stale, but maybe a little bit over-familiar. I still would, if you took me back a year, I would stand by that. But... Absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. I could go for a bit more of the BMF Austin for a good few months to come yet. Then, get to mid-2001, possibly the time for a tweak, but not yet. I think it's all about how a heel turn would be executed. Like, and, and like, D, you're, you're spot on when you say, like, Austin's, Austin's a heel that we cheer for anyway. Like, he's not your, like... Uh, stereotypical babyface is he um, and not that I think one would work in this era of wrestling and like Stone Cold Steve Austin should never be a stereotypical babyface that's why he's Stone Cold Steve Austin but I, I, I think it's easy to turn that character into a heel um, I don't think that means it's the right thing to do I was right there with you last year Rory thinking the character had I, I think Stales maybe too far, but had had began to enter that territory at the very least. Um, and 
I I mean, like that pop up backlash. Like no one who saw that show or was present for that show could ever, in their right minds, try to argue that he's going to be negatively received or not warmly received no when he returns. No like, way. That was one of the biggest pops I've ever seen. Mm. Like. Ever and that was what four months ago, um, and it was perfect. Like that was like peak Austin. Like just came back and walked it onto our screens, and you wouldn't have got that moment without the absence. Um, and there's been more absence since then. And Good I, point. I think you can have him come back exactly the character he he was when he when he left. Um, and and it's not going to feel stale. It's going to feel fresh, and he can. There's there's more guys up there for him to work with now. Like I would like to see Austin Kerr Angle. Like perfect. Oh, that'd yes. be that'd be awesome. Like there's there's just more going on in that that scene where he doesn't have to come back and immediately become the WWF champion, but he he can stay that babyface character that he was for a little while longer. In my humble opinion, although I have to say. It does intrigue me, <laughs> but I'm not the one who has to care about the business side of things and the <laughs> financials and all the money you'd be leaving on the table turning Stone Cold Steve Austin Hill. Um, you know, well, uh, when you, when sorry, you talk Karen. about, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. When you talk about, you know, him entering staleness last year, it could be because of overexposure. I mean, he's doing mm-hmm. four or five nights a week, Raws sure. and Smackdowns. And, and so the absence, just like you said, backlash whether it's advertised or it's a surprise return when he comes back now, when that glass breaks, the roof will literally tear off the place. Oh. It'll it'll just be insane. And, you know, when you talk about that pop at Backlash, it reminds me of the pop, even though he was still active, the pop uh, during the Rock and Mankind WWF Championship match. The, the, it, it, he just elicits a reaction that can match no other. And there's so many guys that are, stacking the main event level now i believe it should be uh you know i can't think of the word to say like you know a guy can go away for two months just rest himself up recharge the batteries come back freshen up and it's going to make us miss him and i think it'll extend the character's longevity and shelf life and, and when a character is away tv carries on and that's and that's why you, if Austin had been here active on our screens this whole time, then yeah, you probably would need to tweak that character. But we've had eight, nine months, approaching a year of Austin not being on our TV every week, twice a week. And like, there's been so much character development and change within the WWF roster, especially in that main event scene. Um, and pe- like I say, people like Kurt Angle, you've got people like Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho just sort of hovering below. Like there's, there's people that Austin could come in and remain exactly as he was before, but it's fresh and it's new to us because the WWF has developed over the time he's been away. And that's what's crucial about it. Um, and with, with those names that you just mentioned, totally different work styles than the ones that he's been used to. Yes, and definitely intriguing matchups that I'd like to see. Yep. Um, switching gears a little bit. Um, particular, particularly keen interest of of mine. Um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the 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 motion of the big show down to Ohio Valley, Rory. Um, what are we making of all this? Uh, how did I know you were going to pick up on this one, Chris? Um, he's just. 
been, I'm going to say it, he's been the bane of our existence since February 99, hasn't he? And I don't know how you've got through the shows sometimes, Chris. It's how they've not caused us to stop dead in our tracks whenever we talk about them. Uh, if there's an incorrect path or a wrong turn, pun very much intended, to make with the big show, more than one, it's happened far many more times than I care to remember since the beginning of last year. And this has been coming, I've got to say. But it's a weird time to do it. He was taken off television after the Cinderbrock stuff at Judgment Day. Yet they bring him back now, put him into a pretty high-profile role, doing what you could argue he should have been doing 18 months ago, just beating people the fuck up for the hell of it. And then he gets whipped off television when there was an actual feud brewing, by the looks of it, and dumped down to... Ohio Valley Wrestling for we don't know how much time. The reasoning behind it is that, as I said in the news, his attitude backstage is supposedly poor. No, he very rarely works out. I don't think any of this is stuff we didn't really know beforehand. It's It comes with the territory, I'm afraid. No, he's still fairly young. He's still only in his mid-twenties. They cannot... No, these losses are uncuttable. Now, we are a year and a half into a 10-year contract where he's scooping, I think it's something like <laughs> 1.1 oh million. I know. <laughs> Strap yourself in, Chris. We've not even got started yet, my friend. We're not even past the prologue. So, no, keep keep sniffing the salts, I think. So we've got eight and a half years of this to go. They can't just let him go. It's impossible. So they must think slash hope that this is salvageable. It should be. Someone like The Big Show should be bankable. You shouldn't even really need to think about it. And I am not going to list again the problems we've had with him. Please just go back, if you dare, and listen to every Federation show we've done for the last 18 months. But I am not surprised to hear this news in general, but for it happening when it happened, I find the timing rather interesting. Dee, what's your take on it all? Yeah, to to mirror Rory's opinion, it... um... He always looked like God. He was like, I'm like, damn, bro, take a take a breath, you know, take it, take a second, you know, slow down because I feel like this guy was just working himself too hard. Um, not to contradict what was being reported about him backstage. When I talk about working himself too hard, like the guy was just out of shape. You know, he was doing these matches that he couldn't keep up with. Um, to look back at you know the way he debuted in WCW, he just thought his size can let him walk into a company and allow him, you know, advantages and luxuries that he didn't have to work for. Uh, so him coming in high profile, the spot with Vince and, you know, doing the whole deal. And I did, you know, to go back to that overexposure word, you know, he's, if they want to make him an attraction, they need to leave him as an attraction, you know, uh, not come out as much, you know, but but be more disciplined with the guy. You know, when you have somebody like The Undertaker, you know, telling you that you're far from good, then there's something you need to reevaluate about yourself. Um, speaking of The Undertaker, smack dab in the middle of what looks like a building feud, not just not just going out there and having a match every week. He's no, there's there's um, interaction with the same wrestler. Which equals a feud. So then now you're you're out, and it was it was it was strange ex- execution. 
Um, but something that's needed. I don't know how long he's going to be down there, but to imagine the big show going from where he went, you know, world champion and, you know, WrestleMania spot. Now he's probably putting up the ring with a bunch of green rookies. So I, it's, it's a definite fall from grace. He was world champion still this calendar year. Admittedly, only the first three days of it, but still. He was, he was in a main event, the main event of WrestleMania. Yep. And, and the last show that I did with you guys, he was in the main event, and now we're talking about him getting sent down to the minor leagues. Amazing. No disrespect to everybody over there. I'm sure they work hard, and I'm sure that you know they're future stars. But it says something. You know, it, it does. And it's not him going back there to coach or help. No, he's going back there to work on himself. I mean, to to be blunt about it, as as the man Paul White as a professional wrestler, is he better? Like what we've seen from him throughout the year two thousand in the WWF, is he really any better by any sort of measurable metric than the guy that <laughs> won the title or didn't win the title but did? in his debut at Halloween Havoc in 1995. Like, really? Like, has he progressed anywhere? I can't see it. That's so damning on both companies, really. Like, but, I mean, the WWF are the ones that have had him for the best part of two years at this stage, so... um, But, I mean, it feels like this is kind of, like, what he needs. Um, But... I, I mean, I'd love to go back and see how I thought about it, like, authentically at the time. Um, like, couldn't you have sent him there, like, before you put him on TV? Mm-hmm. Like, 18 months ago? I don't know whether he'd been up for that. Probably not. Um, but, like, he's... he's. I think he's worse. I think he's got worse. every Like, throughout this year, in the throughout the 18 months in the WWF, he's got worse and the the more time that's gone on the worse he has been in the ring the worse his <laughs> matches have been uh, and i'm i mean they've tried a lot of stuff as well how many times has he turned and he's been in so many ridiculous angles and segments and he he's never delivered um like this is the right thing to try and salvage something from the money you've invested in Paul White as a as a human being, like you need <laughs> you you need to get something out of him that's gonna be marketable. And I I think like the idea that at this stage of the game, um, the year two thousand, wrestling fans are not gonna be enamored by a guy just because of his height. It's not gonna work. Um, and Really, that's kind of all he's got going for him. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's potential there, I, and whether we've seen it or not. But um, yeah, I think when when you go back five years and look at that sort of debut in WCW to where we were the last couple of months, and I, I think he's probably worse. He's probably a bit more comfortable, sort of generally on TV, uh, a bit more self-assured. But aside from that. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Um, anything else um, we would like to go into from the news there, 
a D before we move on into the uh, TV for the month? Uh, no, I feel like those were the, the largest stories for this yeah. month. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, so with SummerSlam Summer scheduled for the 27th of August, we have a good few weeks of TV to traverse. And it was quite a messy, convoluted month, but when is it not with the WWF? As we know, the main event of SummerSlam was The Rock defending his WWF championship against Kurt Angle and Triple H in a triple threat match. But how did we get there? I mean, Rory, how did we get there? Coming off um, fully loaded, Kurt Angle... On that show just a few short weeks ago, and uh, four weeks later, main event at SummerSlam. Quite the, quite the turnaround, and one I'm very grateful for. I'm very glad we got there, yes. I didn't think we were going to after he dropped Clean to the Undertaker in seven minutes. Yes, I'm still bitter. But it looks like some people aren't still bitter. They're more forgiving than I are of Angle, and maybe they did have plans for him after all. Uh, we will discuss very shortly what happened after we got there, but Angle... Being in a main event on the second biggest pay-per-view of the year, just nine months after his debut, that speaks for itself, I think. It is entirely deserved. It doesn't feel like he's been fast-tracked, doesn't feel like it's been rushed, it doesn't feel like it's happening too soon. He has earned that position. What happened happened, and we'll break that down. I hope this is the first and not the last time it happens. They know, they they. Did it with the big show, or the showster, I should say, at Backlash, and they did it with the Undertaker <laughs> at Fully Loaded. Touchwood, they're not going to do that again. Now, this is for WWF. This is third time lucky. Don't waste it. Make this make this be the real beginning for Angle, and not the beginning of the end or anything like that. Main event just nine months after his debut, and it. It's the most natural thing in the world. And I'm so glad they can see what we all see in this guy. Because who knows what's going to happen in the next four months. But he is a contender to sweep the boards in all the positive awards we're going to have in four months' time. And quite rightly so. I'm going to see to it that he does. Spoiler. <laughs> um, D, so the last WWF show you are on, was that, was that WrestleMania this year? Yes, it was, sir. And I believe, so he was the, was he a double champion going into that? And he lost both he belts. He was a double champion, pinned? lost without being pinned to Benoit and Jericho. Eurocontinental was the word. The Eurocontinental, that's <laughs> there right. It's true, it's true. That's what he was. That's so uh, so what, have we, what have you made of sort of like the development of Kurt Angle across the last few months from WrestleMania until sort of heading into August? I know we 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 ended um, July on quite a sour note with the Undertaker squash at Fully Loaded, but uh, things picked up for him throughout the month, and we'll get into some details and specifics soon. But just generally on Kurt Angle, yeah. So uh, when when we talk about the Undertaker match, I, I felt like let's just I felt that when it was booked that it was like let's see how he does with the Undertaker. This is his taste at the main event with somebody like the Undertaker. Now I see why he lost the titles at WrestleMania because they are grooming him. They're, they're, they're making a star out of this guy, the King of the ring win. And now with this main event, you know, we'll go into the result when we get there, but this just says so much about the guy's future. This is just the first nine months. Rory said, this is crazy. So the guy has so much time. I'm excited to see what he does. And it, it's, it's, 
you know, when going back to WrestleMania 2000, it, it's proved that a loss isn't a loss to the character. It's more, you know, let's let's break this commitment he has to these titles and let's move them up to bigger and better matches. And that's one of the remarkable things about Kurt Angle um, in his short time on WWF TV is that there have been three or four occasions where he's taken a, a big loss or or just been destroyed. It happened at the Royal Rumble. It happened with the Showster. I, thanks, Rory, for making me remember that one. And uh, it happened with The Undertaker. And, and it's, ha- it's happened a few times. But, like, every time you think, oh, here we go, like he's about to sort of fall down the card, as it were. He's just too good. He's too good in the ring. He's too good on the mic. He's too good in these backstage skits and segments you would if you had like a fresh eyes on this and someone who wasn't necessarily familiar with wrestling or or maybe if you had like a wcw lifer who had no idea what was going on in the wwf at this stage not that uh, in august 2000 there can be many of them left um <laughs> And you showed them an episode of Raw or SmackDown. Just just yeah. If 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 you showed them an episode of Raw or SmackDown, um, and and sort of like they they would have no idea that Kurt Angle is as green in terms of just pure time as he as he really is. There'd be no way to tell. It's it's genuinely remarkable. And booking wise, he's had some speed bumps, but he's just rode right through them and like when you look back at the Royal Rumble and that match with Taz and like where those two guys are on this show at oh, SummerSlam. Jesus. I just, the, I just realized that. Yeah. The different paths we'll that it. they've had throughout the year. Um, I mean, for Taz, maybe that has more to do with, uh, well, height to be blunt than, uh, than anything else. But for Kurt Angle, I mean, it's just a credit to the guy. Um, it really is because he's he's done a sensational job um, throughout this year, and I think he was richly rewarded with a, a spot in the main event at SummerSlam. You know, it also goes to his background. You know, with the the amateur wrestling and being an Olympian, can you imagine like the self discipline this guy has and the amount of competitiveness that he has? probably within himself but with everybody else he just wants he's an olympic gold medalist the guy wants to be the best so that drive alone is taking him to the top yeah and it's definitely paid off with his wwf career so far so on the uh, 3rd of august episode of smackdown triple h stephanie mcmahon helmsley and kurt angle they're all booked in a six-man tag team match by Commissioner Mick Foley. They're taking on the Dudley Boys and Lita. Uh, Hunter, Steph and Angle go on to win. And after that match, Triple H leaves the the ring and Angle and Steph hug in a victory celebration. Triple H visibly frustrated and sort of marking the beginning of a sort of rivalry between the two men, but also a love triangle between the three. Um, so that played out throughout the month on WWF TV. Um, Triple H and Angle were booked in a triple threat match with Chris Jericho to determine the number one contender for the WWF title at SummerSlam. Uh, Hunter and Angle both pinned Jericho simultaneously, um, so they were both number one contender. Um, Mick Foley made that match official as a triple threat at SummerSlam the next week on SmackDown, and he booked a tag team match where Angle and Triple H would team up against The Rock and Undertaker. 
Um, Angle accidentally attacked Triple H during the match. Triple H walked out, uh, leaving Angle in a handicap situation, uh, losing, taking the pinfall. Next week on Raw, Angle, Triple H and Shane, they're booked in a six-man tag against the Dudleys and Rock. Uh, The stipulation being if Angle or Triple H walk away from the match, they lose their number one contender status. During the match, Edge and Christian interfered to attack the Dudley boys, um, leaving The Rock on his own, and Triple H got the pin. Um, neither Triple H or Angle walked out, and they both kept their number one contendership. And f- finally, sort of the big the big angle leading into this pay-per-view, as far as Kurt is uh, concerned, the SmackDown before SummerSlam. Coming off Lita winning the women's title from Stephanie uh, on the Raw prior, Steph was forced by Foley to pick a partner to face the Rock and Lita in a mixed tag. Um, she had to choose between Kurt and Hunter, and it was to be decided by a coin flip, despite Angle protesting that they should flip one of his medals instead, which I really liked. <laughs> Steph said the coin flip had came out as tails, which meant Angle won and he would partner her tonight. He was so pleased and had absolutely brilliant facial expressions here. Hunter was furious. During the match, Steph took a bump after Angle accidentally collided with her. He, she was carried out by Hunter, uh, and it ended in a bit of a schmoz, but the key moment came following the match. So the match ended, uh, Rock hit a people's elbow on Hunter to send the live crowd crowd home happy, and we cut backstage where Steph had been receiving medical attention. Angle came in, and he went to apologise to Stephanie backstage. He said he really cared about her, and he didn't realise how much, and he's so sorry. He hugged her. He then leaned in for a kiss on the lips. Stephanie looked like she was fighting at first, but then she went through with it and she was into it. Angle leaned back, big grin on his face, and the show went off the air. Dun, dun, dun. Rory, what do oh. we make of this? Oh, my God. Okay, I'll, I've got almost nothing but positives here, so I want to get the one negative out of the way first, and it's nothing really to do with the love triangle. How much I hate the double pin deal to get to a triple threat match. Now, can we not do that? Especially when it's a second rope back suplex to keep someone like Chris Jericho down for a three count when both people are draping the arm. Come on. Now, there are many other ways we could have got to that match. Anyway, that's it. Nothing but goodness now. Okay. We talk about how last month especially, Chris, we talked about how good Raw and SmackDown have been. And it's continued in a very much similar vein this month. Maybe not quite as good, but not far behind. It's been another stellar month of matches, angles, characters, etc., etc. This is no disrespect intended to most of the roster. Give or take the Undertaker. But I've been (laughs) itching to get through a lot of the other matches and segments and character stuff just so I can see what's going to happen next in this storyline. They have got me hook, line, and sinker. And I do feel like I'm watching, and this is not to damn it with fame praise, I do feel like I'm watching Neighbours or Home and Away or something like that. It's that, 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 that is, That's not a criticism. Sounds like it is, but it's not. Because I just want to see how this story, and I think the word story should be used in italic and underlined, develops, because that is what it is. I mean, what we're talking about here is very simple stuff. But at the end of each edition of Raw and SmackDown, you turn off your television. When you sit down and really think about it for 25, 30 minutes, you're like, wow, there is so much going on here. 
you know, they talk about Triple H being hot-headed. Is that just his problem? Or does he really have something to concern himself with? Is Stephanie really oblivious to this? Or is she? Is she just playing along? Is she really getting caught up in it? Is she enjoying this more than she would tell us? And what the hell are Kurt Angle's intentions here? Is he just screwing with Triple H because he can? Does he really want to steal Stephanie from him? Or, and you can't rule this out entirely because of how well he is playing this role until maybe the kiss came along. (laughs) Is he really one of those people who thinks that, why can't a guy and a girl just be good friends? As he said, with his perfect inflection. And this has got so many other eyes on the product that no other storyline, as I can think of, since we've been doing this and probably long before, you're going back to, I don't know, maybe... Hogan, Savage, Liz, 8889. And that is quite the thing to compare anything to. I think this stands alongside and maybe even beyond it. Anecdotal it might be to bring this up, but I know for a fact that getting a lot more female eyes on the product now, which is fantastic. A friend of the show, Tim Cable, said to me a couple of weeks ago that his mother had no interest in professional wrestling whatsoever, is watching Raw and SmackDown with him every time it's on this month to see what goes on with this storyline. It's brilliantly written. It's it's nothing new to somebody who, when they get in from school or work, throws on the strangulated vowel soaps at 5.35 every afternoon. Uh, I don't do myself anymore. I like to think I've grown up a bit. But it's not the sort of thing we see from pro wrestling storylines. It is said often and with a lot of justification, even though it's a rather crass phrase these days, that... Pro wrestling is soap opera for grown men. I don't like that expression very much, but I can see where it comes from. But maybe there hasn't been a whole lot of credence behind that. But here, we've actually got it. And it's been fantastic. It's all made sense. It still ties in to professional wrestling, because whether we like it or not, whether the guys themselves like it or not, whatever their feelings for Stephanie... The WWF title is at stake here. That's the importance of that has never been underwritten either during this storyline. I think this might very well be one of the greatest they have ever done, and it is far, far from over yet. Even even after SummerSlam, we've still got a week to discuss, and there's more to come there. And it's got to end at some point, but I kind of hope it never does. Really, Dee, what do you make of? Uh... All the TV leading into the uh, main event at SummerSlam, and uh, I know one particular part you were really interested in. Feel free to like comment on other stuff first, but you said you really enjoyed Lita and The Rock um, throughout this storyline as well. Yeah. So when we were, excuse me, when we were talking about the TVs, I mentioned how seamless everything was intertwined with each other because I got I got it I got it written here. So Benoit replaces Triple H in a mixed tag, which starts the Jericho feud. Then Triple H replaces Kurt in a mixed tag to start the feud with The Rock. And, like, everything was all together. And so when we talk about Kurt Angle, you know, Vince McMahon likes to say this is sports entertainment. This is the entertainment part. I was convinced that he was the white meat baby face guy that just says a guy and a girl can be friends. But the character development within this short month 
um, of TVs, that shit-eating grin that he would have looking at Triple H, just knowing he's getting into his head, was brilliant. And um, th- the only problem that I had, the o- and, and you know what, to go with the double pin thing, that, that's, that makes a good point, but the problem that I had is that The Rock is playing supporting character. As the champion, I don't feel like you shouldn't be the main guy on TV. It's the reason you're the champion. Good point. But... But to his credit, The Rock seemed like seems like a very unselfish performer. That he is just helping drive this storyline through. Now, this kind of warranted a different result for me at SummerSlam. But you know, just to continue that story between Triple H and Kurt Angle, because this isn't something that you just drop. You know, you can have a girlfriend and she has a male friend that's a little too touchy feely. And I'm like, hey, you know, back off. So when you talk about this being kind of like Hogan Savage Elizabeth, in Hogan Savage Elizabeth, it was a vehicle to drive uh, Savage to um, be a heel. And, of course, it was a vehicle for Hogan must post, but that's besides the point. But in, in this story, both men are heels. So you are kind of justified in cheering for both of them in the beginning because with Kurt it's like yeah I'm, I'm friends with a woman what's the big deal and with Triple H it's like hey you're getting too close to my lady so they're both justified in their actions until Angle goes in you know for the kiss but this all, all this whole story my girlfriend was glued to the TV and she doesn't really watch too much wrestling but she was loving this story so this this helps bring in new fans maybe girlfriends of guys that watch a lot of wrestling but that's the thing it gets it gets more eyes on the product and it 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 shows a lot of people those people in particular that you know the WWF is a versatile company that can provide entertainment on all kind of platforms yeah i think um you've both made some really great points there about how this is the type of storyline that can drive new viewers um i mean it's not it's not like over or done, but I mean, the WWF is, uh, it's, it's kind of like, if you're the WWF, you're not really thinking about WCW anymore um, at this stage of the game. And you're just competing almost against yourself. How high can we go? How many viewers can we get? You're not really worried what's going on on the other wrestling show at this stage or in the other wrestling company. You're just, you're just your own, your own entity. That's, undisputably number one in your field um and i think that helps i think it helps when um i think competition's always good but also i think when you're allowed to just sort of like focus um and not really worry about what someone else is doing and just focus on your own storylines i think you can make your show a tighter knit like just from start to finish you can weave storylines throughout your show at a better, more satisfying pace for the viewer when you're not worried about grabbing viewers from the other channel at every chance you get and, and stuff like that. You're just you're just worried about writing a great show. You're not necessarily thinking about, okay, what segment are we going to have this in because we need to counter this or we need to counter that. You're just thinking, okay, what's what's... What's the best for the story, and you whatever's best for the story you can do, and I think that's really showed in WWF TV throughout this year. Um, like like Rory, I thought this month was was great again, but perhaps just a tad below last month. But it was excellent, and this storyline was was the peak. Um, 
And I think everyone plays their role so well. Um, everyone is brilliant at what they do. Kurt Angle is amazing as a performer. Even if he, like, <laughs> even if he couldn't go in the ring like he can, and he's excellent at And I, I think that out of all of the aspects of, like, when you have a prospect like Kurt Angle that you're going to debut on TV, you're like, well, he's an Olympic gold medalist, amateur wrestler. Like, he's going to be able to, to go some in the ring like it's a different thing professional wrestling amateur wrestling like the wwf in the year 2000 but you think there's there's the raw ingredients there at the very least to to get a very good professional wrestler out of this this person you finding an olympic gold medalist with the athletic credentials of kurt angle who is this good as a character this good at comedy this good at being a heel this good at being a baby face all at the same time um on the mic just the complete package of a performer like he's is like it is like someone's created him on a video game <laughs> like how good he can be in all of these areas um and he just fits right in when you've got someone like the rockers the baby face champion um yeah i i agree that the focus maybe could be more on the title but i i think they did a sort of a nice. I, I mean, I liked the way that the 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 love triangle sort of storyline is is wrapped around that title because not only yeah. are both men positioning for the belt, they're also <laughs> positioning to look better than the other in Stephanie's eyes, and and it it just kind of it just fit and clicked, um, and all of the performers every week, Raw SmackDown, just absolutely smashing their storylines out of the park, smashing their segments out of the park in ring. Um, I mean, TV matches are what they are. There's probably always a ref bump for some interference or whatever, but at this stage, they're just vehicles to further the story. Um, you're not going to tune into <laughs> Raw and SmackDown necessarily for a five-star wrestling match because it's probably not going to be there, but the storyline is, is what, drives a connection between your audience and your show and i think they're firing on all cylinders at the moment again um just to go back because i know you mentioned the rock and lita i forgot to mention that so <clears throat> when lita won the, the the women's championship the rock was playing uh i'm sorry the special ref so yes. this is this is where i talk about him being the supporting character he didn't have to do all that he's a champion he's the rock he's the one who sells the tickets i mean Kurt and Triple H are the ones right now who are making us turn on the channel. But the one who sells the tickets, you can tell that it's The Rock. So when him playing supporting character, he does the people's elbow on Stephanie. And, I mean, he didn't have to do that. It's these little details. He pointed at Lita, told her to get on the top rope. She won the title. And you, know, I, I didn't see him after that. You know, the show ends with Hardy's with Lita on their shoulder. And... He steps to the side for that. He doesn't get on the turnbuckle and do his pose. He doesn't grab the belt and like go to the camera with it. He was very unselfish during all of this to allow all these people to get their shine. You know, I would, you know, any other person would have said, "Hey, how come the story's not about me? I'm the champion." You know, but during this whole month to to get people to tune in, he stepped to the side for it, and I, I think it's you know he should be commended for that. Yeah, I, I think you've you've nailed it there. Um, and he's just a, a you you can ask for a better champion, really. Like as a as a pro wrestler, I know um, 
Kurt Angle is like someone you've created. Like I said you could create a video game, but uh, The Rock is a level above that, really. Um, and yeah, for him to play that role and he, he knows when the spotlight's on him and it is on him a hell of a lot um, and when it isn't. And I think he just has that character just it's just natural to him uh, as a performer and it just and it just really works as with him sort of like spearheading um wwf being the champion really um moving on another aspect of the tv leading into the pay-per-view i'd like to talk about is uh the undertaker unfortunately for for rory so must we you may remember last month the uh i i've written the legendary rant from Rory on The Undertaker following his match with Kurt Angle at Fully Loaded. Um, and if you haven't heard that show, go back and listen to it just for that, because it's worth it. We've moved on from that now in August. <laughs> and thankfully, like, like like we've discussed, Angle in the main event picture, Angle in the number one storyline in the company. So it hasn't hurt him. And Taker has moved right back into a feud with Kane. So on the 14th of August edition of Raw, Kane interfered in a match between The Undertaker and Chris Benoit. He chokeslammed The Undertaker, rode out of the arena with The Undertaker's motorbike, which was at ringside. Um, he attacked him on SmackDown a few days later, and uh, it was made official on an episode of Sunday Night Heat that The Undertaker and Kane would be facing each other at SummerSlam. So, Rory, I'm going to come to you uh first on this just because I'd, I'd like to know uh a month a month removed from fully loaded and a month more of the undertaker on our tv screens h- how how are you feeling <laughs> he's well, you pacing back and forth right now okay, no, you're not you're not far wrong i actually i actually stood up to do this like i did the rant a month ago so prepare prepare yourself for another one i'll try and temper it a bit no promises um yeah well they say we, we talked about uh, absence making the heart grow fonder and all those other other cliches, you know. Time can be a great healer. Well, it can be, but it's not. Um, this has come from the what I believe to be the original plan, which was the big show, to be facing The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Probably not going to fall off your chairs if you haven't got up to pace the route when I tell you I was not exactly looking forward to that match if it was going to happen. But the replacement, such that it is, we've got Undertaker versus Kane again. And they haven't even bothered to possibly even come close to explaining it. They were teaming at the start of this month. And what was the explanation Kane gave? Because I'm a monster. Yeah, okay, that's really sufficient. No, please take my money, etc., etc. Now we've done everything we possibly can with those two. Now, if you have to team them up, and they can, they have to kill people like Edge and Christian, then so be it. Now, you, you know my feelings on that, and I hope they're shared by a great many of these listeners, but. If nobody's going to tell him otherwise that he can't do this, and like I said last month, they're not going to, then just fucking let it happen. But do not dredge up Undertaker versus Kane. They squeezed every golden and not-so-golden drop out of that one two years ago. And without wanting to... Because I'm sure so many people tuning into this show today are doing so because they want to hear our views on Undertaker versus Kane at SummerSlam. Uh, I'm going to try to keep something in my locker for about an hour's time. But you can guess. Nobody, nobody needs to see this again. Nobody be out there 
who's going to try to prove me wrong. You're not going to like it. I'm a peacenik. I'm a pacifist. No. But rile me on The Undertaker having any worth in August 2000 and you're poking the bear. D, uh, what have you made of The Undertaker since he's come back with this this new look character, the, the, the bike, the music, um, and just the quality of his work? <laughs> I love it. No, I'm kidding. I just wanted to mess with Roy. Um, <laughs> you, you did, successfully. I, no. Oh, the tension. <laughs> I can imagine his eyes got so wide. He's like, this little son of a... But, um, it sounds a bit like the sharpening of knives, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's... it's um, God, I don't know. It's it's The Undertaker. But I, I understand why that that old character probably won't work in today's wrestling. But... It it seems like you know you, you know it's it's funny we talk about this because he's the one who told Big Show that he needs to work on things, but it seems like Undertaker's getting kind of comfortable too. I mean, he's coming up. Well, it it is. It's it's just a few months. It's coming up on ten years that he's been with the WWF. Um, we talk about you know tweaking characters and you know reinventing yourself and. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I, it's a cool look. It's a cool look, but the quality of the work, like, man, the way he held down Kurt last month at Fully Loaded was, do you think like his ego or he's getting that veteran status where he's like, I don't have to work hard. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm at. I'm safe. I'm untouchable. Uh, The whole Kane and Undertaker thing uh, on paper I know Rory doesn't like it, but it, it it's cool. It's an attraction because both the guys have cool looks and both guys are big guys. And But it was just a quick Band-Aid fix for what should have been Big Show Undertaker. Um, I'm not sure how much better that would have been. But I, I, Undertaker still needs... Uh, this Undertaker, this American badass Undertaker, still needs... Uh, he needs some convincing to do for me. I'm not. I'm not uh, buying it too much. Yeah, I think if there's one saving grace that I I hope Rory would agree with me is that as bad as Undertaker Kane and just well Undertaker generally, but also the fact we're having Undertaker Kane as bad as all of that could be or and was or whatever your opinion on it, the Undertaker and Big Show would have been worse. <laughs> this this right? is where we are. <laughs> You should be thankful, Rory. You should be thankful. <laughs> this is yes. in a month where we Give said the TV stuff. was excellent again. Quite. Quite. <laughs> um, it does show you the quality of the show where you have a guy like The Undertaker out there every week. And it's, I mean, it's a detriment, but it does not stop the TV from being of enormously good quality. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. He's another one that just like, I don't know if he just doesn't fit in this wrestling landscape anymore. Um, I, I agree. Like I was pretty positive on the look and the music and the bike and all this when he came back. Like I thought it it was a, a necessary change. Um, like on paper, like I was I was a, that was a plus for me. But he's just <laughs> he doesn't add any value to the WWF anymore. He's a detriment to nearly everything he's on, whether it's a pay per view or. SmackDown or Raw, whatever it is, I he's he's no he's got nothing left. I don't know if it's just an attitude thing where he's just overly comfortable and complacent 
and therefore doesn't really give a shit anymore, doesn't really try that hard, because, like, it's The Undertaker, like, he, like, he had something, like, he did. Um, That character was, like, needed a change, but it's not the character that is the problem, Um, and it's not the look that's the problem or any of that, it's the work, Um, and it's it's low, and, I mean, I'm, 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 like, I'm, a big supporter of Kane. I like Kane a lot, but God damn, I didn't need to see this again. <laughs> I just didn't need to see it. But, and, and that the explanation, as you rightly highlight Rory, just, I think sums up the quality, like you have the love triangle and the quality storyline writing found elsewhere in the show. And then you have this rivalry and the only given explanation is because Kane's a monster. And no, that is, this is bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Dregs. I can't. I can't career. wait to talk about that match. Oh god. Well, uh, with that in mind, I think that brings us nicely to a close of our TV notes from before the pay view, um, and we uh, should get directly into our SummerSlam review. So, Rory, would you uh, kindly take us through the results of the show? I will indeed. So, in our opening match, six-man tag: uh, the right to censor, represented by Bull Buchanan, the Good Father, and Stephen Richards, defeated Too Cool and Rikishi. X-Pac beat the Road Dog in a singles match. Eddie Guerrero and China defeated Trish Stratus and Val Venus. And in doing so, China became the Intercontinental Champion. More on that later, I think, slash hope, or maybe not. Uh, Jerry Lawler defeated Taz. More on that later. Steve Blackman defeated Hardcore Champion Shane McMahon. Yes, to become the Hardcore Champion. Uh, this stuff. Chris Benoit defeated Chris Jericho by two to one in a two out of three falls match. In a TLC match, table, ladders and chairs. Oh my, I'll do it. For the tag team championship, Edge and Christian uh, retained against the Dudley Boys and the Hardys. Uh, the Cats beat Terry in a stink face match. And worse still, Kane Undertaker, no contest. Main event, triple threat match for the WWF title. The Rock successfully defeated Triple H and Kurt Angle, but that's not even half the story. Dee, what did you make of SummerSlam? Uh, highs and lows. Um, unexpected highs on some parts, and uh, strange booking in one particular match for me, but we'll get into that later. But it was uh, it was enjoyable. Yet, uh, just a TLC match that was nuts. It was insane. You would you know, I'm going to save all my notes for that one for when we get to that match. But I, I enjoyed the pay-per-view. I, I was I was satisfied after I watched it. Rory. Yeah, we've talked about it this year a lot, Chris, where the B pay-per-views have been stellar <clears throat> individually, all of them. No Way Out, especially Backlash, Judgment Day, fully loaded, all excellent shows. And the A pay-per-views haven't really delivered. This one, well, the Royal Rumble definitely had its moments. This one, probably superior to, well, certainly King of the Ring. Wow, <laughs> hot take. And probably WrestleMania too. but there were too many undulations in this one for me. In fairness to the WWF, however, I would say they set themselves three goals for this pay-per-view. They achieved two of them, as intended, as for the third, they might have got there, but certainly not by the means that they intended. I will say what I'm sure our listeners 
brighter bunch that they are have worked out what the third one of those is but we'll get to the other two as we get through the review but just about past muster we'll decide in an hour or so whether or not i thought that was enough for a show of this supposed stature but we'll see yeah this is a really difficult show to to grades and i haven't written down i normally write down what i think i'm going to give a score out of 10 a show out of 10 um before and then after the review i always like sort of working out whether that's changed based on chatting about it on here um i couldn't for this one the highs are really really high there's some amazing stuff on this show um some amazing moments that i'm sure like will basically be, be remembered forever and uh <laughs> One match that will probably be remembered forever. Um, a very good main event. Uh, but there is some bad stuff on the show as well. It's so polarized and it's really hard to grade it. Like you you like you just come back down to giving it like a, a mediocre score and uh, that that really doesn't paint the accurate picture of this show. It because there's like some nine out of ten stuff on here and there's some one out of ten stuff on here. And the balance is maybe shifted towards the negative side of things, but because of the good stuff on here that we'll discuss, I'd really be hard pressed giving this show a negative score. So it's difficult, and I'm hoping that talking about it with you guys and breaking it down will clarify things for me a bit more. So the opening video package featured some clips of classy Freddie Blassie in a chair. Um, well, he. We had some uh, black and white footage, like an opera. Uh, it focused on a triple threat main event between The Rock, Triple H, and Kurt Angle. Um, Pyro went off by the entrance, and uh, the crowd was full of signs, loads of cheering, and a really hot crowd for SummerSlam. As JR noted, that they had a 1.1 million gate for this show, which they don't normally point out, so they must have been particularly proud of that number. Uh, the right to censor trio of Stevie Richards, Bull Buchanan, and the Good Father entered. Richards said he thought uh, he, he thought that people in the Bible Belt would be there to support them, yet the fans were booing. He tried to talk trash about Rikishi, but two calls music hit to interrupt, and we are set for our opening contest: the six-man tag between Right to Censor. Uh, and too cool, so Grandmaster Sexy Rikishi and Scotty Too Hotty. Um, they're accompanied by Mandy and Victoria as well. Faces take charge early. Scotty trips up ball in the corner. He goes up top and hits a cross-body cross block for a two-count. Uh, we get a double-team suplex by Too Cool. Goodfather's in for the heels, but he misses the charged, charging attack. Victoria tries a slap, but the Goodfather shoves her down as well as shoving Mandy. Boot to the face by the Goodfather um, as the fans were chanting, save the hose. Richard's in with a powerbomb as JR notes that it's Richard's first time in a WWF ring. Um, Christopher nails a suplex of the top to take down Richard. He gets the hot tag to Rikishi, who runs wild, but the other heels jump in too. So it's punches by Rikishi on absolutely everybody. He dumps Stevie to the floor. Uh, Victoria sends Richards back in. Rikishi throws all three heels into the turnbuckles, and the faces take turns hitting a splash. Rikishi hits a Samoan drop on the good father. Buchanan axe kick on Rikishi before Scotty comes in with a bulldog and teases the worm, but Richard dumps him out of the ring and hits a super kick on Scotty, covering him for the free, even though I'm pretty sure Rikishi was the legal man. Um, Rory, I'll come to you. What do you make of our opening contest and Stephen Richards, I know you're a, a huge fan. Uh, what, what do you uh, 
make of here in this opening match at SummerSlam? Match wasn't very much, and we ticked back on the other side of how to handle a pay-per-view opener. They got it so very right last month. They probably got it wrong here. I mean, Stevie over Scotty in five minutes is probably the right finish, given where everybody is on the card and where everyone is supposedly headed. I'm okay with that, but the five minutes to get there were less than nothing, really. The It was just a match. It was heat level if it's a day. But it gives me a chance to talk about Stevie. No bad thing. I'll, any opportunity I'm given, I will gladly take. Very much the anti-Undertaker in that regard. I really like what's been done with RTC so far. I think Stevie's promos are entirely on point. Uh, he's lucid. He's erudite. He's living this character to the sense where I think he actually believes it. Given where he's come from, wrestling-wise, he probably doesn't, but that's by the by. You know, This is all, uh, if it's on TV, it's a work pal, and he's doing a damn fine job of it. Keeping the mic away from Bull Buchanan and the good father most of the time can also only be a good thing too. Possible issue with the RTC it needs to evolve at some point. I'm not sure beating up the hose and standing firm against a stand the hose, a save the hose campaign is necessarily the next level I want this to go to. They're going to have to do something quite extraordinary, I think. Shutting down the broadcast for a few minutes, just spitballing on something like that. Uh, I'm concerned that in a month or so's time, they're going to be little more than just another heel stable. We said when they formed a couple of months ago, when Stevie first first started cutting these promos, that this is the WWF fighting the battles of a year ago. No, the PTC themselves aren't really bothered anymore, but Vince still thinks they're public enemy number one against his company, because of course he does. You know, he takes a grudge and he holds it and won't let go until all the life has been squeezed out of it, and probably not even then. But I like the RTC. Anything that gives Stevie a prominent role is going to get a thumbs up from me. But let's see where it goes next. It needs to evolve pretty fast, I think. Dee, what did you make of the opening match and how are you finding RTC more generally? I, I love RTC. Uh, Stephen Richards is awesome. The guy has become like a Jim Jones type, just wanting to preach his word and trying to bring people to the, the good side, as he you know likes to put it. Um, the good father... Uh, He's embracing the role, and and uh, I I admire that that part. I, I respect him embracing the role. I'm gonna miss the Godfather, but the Good Father, um, this this whole faction, and and from a couple of guys that you wouldn't have thought anything about a few months ago, uh, they're getting insane amounts of heat, just heat on top of heat, and um, <clears throat> so as far as the match goes, I don't think that they were looking for any type of technical, you know, good match in terms of their characters. Their characters, I don't think, you know, warrants them having, like, a really good match that involves, like, near falls or crazy moves or anything. This is one of those opening matches that just gets people involved. 
they already hate the RTC. Too cool is over as hell. So it's an easy, it's an easy uh, contrast between the two uh, factions. Too cool is like always getting cheered and everybody's always dancing and doing the clapping. Um, and RTC is one of the top heel characters. I mean, well, factions, I guess you can say, but they're getting more heat than most people on the entire roster. So as far as being an opening match, in the terms of the match, it wasn't anything to, I didn't write anything about the match, but I know that it was the right way to get people involved in the show at the beginning of the, of the, of the pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, the match was a whole lot of nothing, but like a good way to, I I think two core kind of like a perfect opening act for a hot crowd. Like they come out there, they can dance a bit. They can get the crowd cheering, get the crowd loud. Um, and obviously RTC heat magnets that they can come out and open the show cutting a promo they're they're great sort of opposites to have in this opening position but the match was a whole lot of nothing um yeah i i think i i, I agree with rory obviously i i maybe come from a more stevie neutral position but i think <laughs> uh RTC in fairness, uh, most people do i'm a bit of an ass <laughs> i but what i will say is that i i really like um, I think he's great uh, uh, in this RTC role. I, I really like it. I think it's, it's funny. Uh, I would be keen for that sort of next evolution you speak of quite quickly um, and maybe an escalation of their antics purely because they could quite quickly fall to the wayside, um, as you rightly highlight. Um, and I think that's quite a good idea. What you were just spitballing there in what ten seconds, um, like stuff like that. Um, there's ways that you can develop these characters and give them more to do um, to keep them relevant. And I, I, I hope that the WWF does that because I'm really enjoying their work so far. Moving swiftly on to a singles match between uh, X Pac and Road Dog. Um, the fans chant X-Pac sucks early on. Uh, Road Dog kicks him out of the ring. Back inside, uh, Road Dog blocks a kick and hits a clothesline. X-Pac nails Rody with three kicks in the corner, followed by a Bronco Buster, but uh, Rody bailed to the floor to avoid it. X-Pac gets a sleeper on Road Dog. After Road Dog breaks free, X-Pac hits a spinning heel kick, knocking him down. A Bronco Buster, this time in the corner, connects. JR tells us the crowd is mixed in this match, even though they're pretty much just booing X-Pac. Rody does his punch combo uh, and a splash before a knee drop for two. Um, he uh, counters the X-Factor with a slam before going for a pump handle slam, but X-Factor counters with a low blow and an X-Factor face buster for the pinfall win just before the five-minute mark. Um, post-match, X-Factor does a promo saying that we've now found out who the better man is and they can still be great a great team. He says no hard feelings, but Road Dog kicks him in the gut, hits a pump handle slam before leaving. D, what did you make of this? Um, so in, during the TVs, there was a, there was an angle where you know the whole thing was them playing one-upsmanship with each other, seeing who the better man was, which led to this match. So it was Jr. who announced the booking of the match for SummerSlam on commentary, leaving the live crowd out of it which is something that I always feel is a, is a tricky thing to do because it, it I feel like it messes up uh, the reaction entirely to the match being booked. So during that same match, X, X-Pac um, accidentally drops Road Dog through a table. 
I just feel like you should do that angle before announcing the match. That way the match feels like it makes a lot more sense. Like, yeah, they were doing a friendly competition, one-upping each other, but then they have this little blow-up. Okay, now we're going to have a match for SummerSlam. The match itself was strange for me because, um, you know, they were chanting Xbox sucks. Uh, Rodar was getting good reactions, but they were both technically heels, so I wasn't sure who am I supposed to cheer for. X-Pac winning, but Road Dog left standing, I don't think did anything for me, and I don't think do anything for both performers. When you break up a tag team, it's usually to push one. So that means that the other is going to kind of get the shit end of the stick because of this. So is X-Pac being the one being pushed as a singles wrestler, or is it Road Dog because he was left standing? If so, why do both why do both occurrences where if it was X-Pac moving on, why do we have Road Dog standing tall at the end? And if it's Road Dog moving on, why have X-Pac get the win at a big pay-per-view like SummerSlam? I don't think it did anything for both of these guys. And the aftermatch events didn't help anybody. And I mean, it was just it was a strange one for me, but um, I'm not sure where either guy goes after this. Rory, what do, you, what do you make of our second match? Yeah, I agree. The story going into it was an interesting one. And I thought they developed the one-upmanship or the attempt at the one-upmanship between the two guys fairly well to the point where a match between them was the correct conclusion. But they never really got to the stage for me where it would be deemed pay-per-view worthy. And they could have done this thing on television, really. There's a couple more things on this show I'll have very similar words to say about a little later on. This didn't need to be on pay-per-view. I've got another thing to criticise JR about a little later on as well. So this is probably the lesser of his crimes today. But when he was trying to play up that the crowd was split, when they so obviously were chanting X-Pac sucks. Now, I'm not into that sort of thing. You know, we we, we know what we're hearing. OK, we the crowd are deviating from the script. Then just just go with it. If they're supporting the road dog in this one, just say that. But X-Pac did get the win but he got attacked again afterwards. Hadn't really played it up again on the Raw and SmackDown after this pay-per-view. Just leaves me wondering what the point was, really. So potentially interesting. These are the two characters who could have tried to get the better of each other. They do strike me as people who would like to show the other that they are the better man. But ultimately, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah, quick match reasonably harmless cheap finish i think they could have done the finish better um the low blow like the ref was just right there like i think like the ending and the post-match stuff the feud's just gonna roll on or and then the stuff with jr as well like they really grated on me watching the match um, it was clearly like a, an anti-expat crowd. It wasn't a pro-road dog crowd by any means. Um, but this is it's so easy to just sort of play out of the crowd. Like you could like just make a like off the hand comment like, 
Oh, it's so interesting. Like traveling around the country, like you have crowd, you go to towns and you've got, they, they seem to be quite anti road dog here last night in wherever we were for whatever house show. Um, it seemed that uh, everyone loved expat or something like that. Like play out of it. Like you travel all over, you do live shows twice a week on TV at the very least. Like just make a comment, like don't insult my intelligence by telling me that what I'm hearing is wrong. Cause I can hear it. Like there's so, so many ways to play out of that. If the crowd aren't fitting your script. Um, yeah. Uh, not a uh, barn burner by any means. And uh, fairly flat. Uh, start to the show in terms of in-ring action uh, at this point, I'd say. So next up, we have the intergender tag team match for the Intercontinental title with Val Venus alongside Trish defending his IC title against Eddie and China. So basically, Val's going to lose the title to whoever gains pinfall or submission against each team, even if they beat Trish. Um, Eddie with a running kick and a Northern Light suplex are too early. Val comes back with an elbow, followed by a knee drop. China tags in, gets a huge clothesline. Uh, a double flapjack by China and Eddie. And Eddie notices a, current in, a sign in the crowd that says, China, get me a beer, bitch, uh, which gets taken away a few moments later, which is no surprise. Uh, Val with a kick to the gut, and China hits another clothesline. Uh, Trish tries a cheap shot, but China grabs her. But Val comes in with a punch to the back to break it up before hitting a back suplex. Awesome. It's an, he's a uh, elbow drop of the middle rope, which missed. Um, and the referee's distracted by Eddie, so China hits a low blow. China hits a DDT on Val. She gets the tag to Eddie. Uh, awesome. he, hits, he hits a back body drop and a springboard Hurricane Rana for a two count. Val hits a sit-out spine buster before a double forearm puts them both down. Trish gets the tag against Eddie, and she covers him for a two-count. She kicks Eddie a few times, but he eventually blocks and tags in China. Two climbs later on Trish, followed by a body slam. Val pulls China down by the hair and sends Eddie to the floor. Eddie pulls Val out of the ring, and Trish tries a clothesline on China. But China no-sells, and Trish falls down. China hits a gorilla press slam on Trish leading to the cover, the free count, and the victory, becoming the new Intercontinental Champion after seven minutes. Rory, um, what do you make of this one? And uh, the, I should say the post-match, um, well, not really an angle, but what happened post-match is just Eddie putting the title around China's waist, Val vis visibly disappointed in Trish after costing him the belt. Yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've been here before, haven't we? And we didn't need to go there again. The match had its moments. I thought the interactions between Eddie and Val were perfectly acceptable, just like they were when I had their King of the Ring match a couple of months ago. I enjoyed those. When China and Trish were called upon, they did what they had to. No more, but in all fairness to them, no less. And it was a serviceable enough seven and a half minutes worth of action. But the two major sticking points with me, A, like we discussed at King of the Ring, pinning somebody else to win a major championship is a complete no-no for me. I think it takes a huge risk of devaluing the belt. Okay, we're talking the IC title here, and it's been stamped on, trod on, and you know what else you know what else on for the last two years anyway. We're not exactly talking the Elgin marbles here, but my point stands. And it's China again. It was something. 
and I do mean something, when China won the IC belt in November 99, as the internet would no doubt agree with me on that one, uh, we're just breaking over old coals here now to mix a few metaphors. And we've already done this. And tying it into an Eddie Guerrero is jealous storyline. Eddie Guerrero jealous of China. I'm going to need a bit of arm twisting to go along with that one. Match was okay. As I said, it was fine. Some nice exchanges. But the outcome, something I feared they were going to do, especially in the build-up with China constantly requesting a match with Trish. She got her wish and she got a belt she really doesn't need at this point too. Dee, what do you make of it? Uh, this is the one match that I felt had strange booking uh, coming from where Val Venus wasn't fully loaded. I thought I thought he was on the way to uh, to get better matches, better positions. This this story was about Eddie in China. Um, I'll, I'll give credit to Trish. She did what she had to do, and she took a pretty good Gorilla Press bump. Um, looks like she's been working with somebody to learn how to do wrestling and learn how to properly take bumps and you know, be in a match and, you know, kudos to her for that. Um, a couple of little points that I, I noticed uh, JR pointing out, you know, when it comes to ring psychology, a couple things, you know, JR pointed out that there was a low blow on Val Venus and then he does a back body drop, which pretty much after a low blow, I'm on the floor crying. Um, no matter how tough a man is, he'll be on the floor and, you know, the strength to do a back body drop on another human being kind of doesn't make sense. Also, there were a couple slips between Eddie and Val, but that that just comes on any given night. Um, all good performers, but this is where the strange booking comes in for me. Just like Rory said, China pinning Trish to become the champion. I, I wasn't a fan of that. It kind of protects Val Venus, but does he really need protection now that the story is going to be Eddie and China? Val, I don't see anywhere... I don't see him going anywhere after this, which is a shame because of his performance at Fully Loaded. But he should have just taken the pin if that was the, the if that was the case, because the whole not pinning the champion to become champion is strange for me. Um, that's all I got on on that on that match. Uh, all great performers, just something that I guess they needed to get done so that China's the champion. But uh, it was it was strange for me. Yeah, I thought the match was probably about below what I expected from it, which was a shame because they're all like, like I mean, you got Eddie Guerrero in there. China's shown that she's got like value as an in-ring performer in intergender situations, and and like Trish is like for her experience level, she's good, and and Val as well is probably a probably an underrated hand, I'd say. Um, I I just wasn't particularly exciting i think the stipulation in itself um i mean you're not going to have this stipulation and then val and trish are going to get the win like it doesn't really work that way so i think going in is basically okay is eddie going to pin get the pin or is china going to get the pin and therefore the outcome of the match kind of loses any real intrigue you know kind of what the result's going to be heading in and i think that was probably to its detriment in my eyes um and i do fully agree that i don't think we need this belt on china at this stage um i don't think she needs it i don't think um storyline wise we need it as as, as uh, the audience 
um yeah um not definitely not like a minus on the show but uh below what i expected um from this So uh, before the next match, I'm just going to note here for no particular reason that uh, JR offered the King some uh, candy from a big glass jar on the commentary table, uh, just uh, on camera, making sure we all knew that As this big do. jar, because yeah. <laughs> it's just standard pay-per-view procedure, isn't it? The, the candy jar on the commentator table. Um, we had a re video package then to recap the... Uh, Ongoing rivalry between Taz and Jerry Lawler leading into their match up next it includes Taz smashing a car window while JR's in the car, um, bloodying JR nicely. I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> Taz came out wearing a cowboy hat and a walking stick, mocking JR. And uh, we have JR calling the match alone as uh, Lawler's in the ring. So we're underway. Lawler hits a body slam, followed by his fist drop from the second rope. He misses an, another attack from the off the rope, so uh, Taz stomps away. We get a running clothesline from Taz before he dumps Lawler to the floor and talks some trash to JR. Back in the ring, Taz hits a headbutt to the stomach and hits a body slam. Uh, he goes to the middle rope, jumps off, and misses whatever he was trying to do. King pulls the strap down. Uh, hits some punches, and connects with his pole driver. But Taz no-sells it and shoves Lawler into the referee. Taz tells Ross he's going to choke out Lawler and then choke out JR. Taz gets the Taz mission on Lawler. JR grabs the candy jar from ringside and smashes Taz with it, and Lawler pins Taz uh, at, as referee Teddy Long wakes up to count the pin. Just past the four-minute mark, Jerry Lawler has pinned Taz at SummerSlam. The crowd popped big for the finish, and JR getting involved with the jar and uh I'll just say here with my notes chris lacy look away now rory <laughs> oh goodness me um see last month we were in intrigued a strong word we were a passing interest let's go for that on where they might have been heading with taz building him up again right from the very bottom where they left him after he was the plucky little bulldog who wouldn't stay down after they completely wasted the Royal Rumble thing. But they were building him again, coming into the ring, beating up random faces, defeating people like Al Snow on the pay-per-view. Okay. It's not the most intrinsic bit of character building I've ever seen, but it is something. Let's see where we end up. Four weeks later... He is losing in four minutes to 50-year-old Jerry Lawler after being hit in the head by a candy jar wielded by one Jim Ross. Enjoy it down there, Taz. You're going to have a long, long time to, so you might as well savour every minute. There are going to be a fair few minutes of it happening. Why are they even bothering with this guy. This is at least twice now that we know of where Taz has been cut off at the knees. And yes, add your own jokes there after that sentence. Okay, I'm sure in the back they've done it as well. This is uh, this is where this leads to, you know, the wrecking machine himself, the war machine, the suplex machine. Uh, this machine needs a whole lot of oiling now. I mean, why would he get just, just pairing him with 50-year-old Jerry Lawler? Uh, he must have, uh, the alarm sirens must have been ringing in his head louder than they do 
bought the music when he comes down to ringside and that's who they were programming him with and he goes after jim ross and the lowest of the low common denominator stuff and as if that wasn't enough jr hits him with a trash can lid the next day and he does another job this time to steve blackman now, the writing is very much on the wall no matter how many z's or z's it has written there taz pay attention now, you are mocked relentlessly backstage by the sound of it he doesn't necessarily do himself a whole lot of favors but that's another issue he needs to have a long hard look at himself and realize if this is really what he wants or not i hope i know what the answer is going to be that it is a far far cry from this this is just i'm not even the world's biggest taz fan you know i'm not even in the same ballpark as some of our other ecw alum let alone mr lacy but this is a waste it is not the way you use somebody like this uh, eight months on yes vince he isn't a seven foot giant have you not got it out of your system yet evidently not and i really do fear for the guy in the company now if there's one small chink of light it's that after jobbing to jerry lawler and having jim ross koshi matches in two successive days you know, it's dead cat bounce time the only way is up but i fear it may even be too late for that now what a waste d uh what's your take on taz and this match um i don't know what i was missing but this match was getting good reactions the biggest reaction coming from where mm -hmm. jr just stood up um crowd was hot for that match uh i would uh, i would substitute taz out for like a low level heel who's bullying the commentator and you know it, it's it's really hard to cheer against excuse me it's really easy to cheer against somebody who's just messing with jr jr is like everybody's you know favorite uncle like he's just a helpless man defenseless and you you know you cheer for jerry lawler sticking up for his best friend but i just wish it was somebody other than taz because i again I'd, I'd rather put a lower level heel but that's i guess where we're gonna put taz from now on because that's what they're booking him as it's it's a shame because he came in he, his finest moment was his debut, and then that was it. It was all downhill from there. Who did he face, like, in No Way Out? The boss man, right? Yeah, his boss man, yeah. Yeah, that that's good Good job, guys. Like, <laughs> way to really capitalize on this this crazy debut. Uh, if, if Vince wants to say, oh, it's only because he was in New York, well, you know, to hell with that shit. We're, you know, it, it was a hell of a debut, and it's a shame that, you know, it's not being booked according to his abilities but you know to his credit he really embraced the role he embraced his story uh he came out i mean he made me laugh when he came out with the jr hat you know and, you know the the walking cane um trying to find his way around um so credit to jazz for doing his job and <laughs> jr just uh he does great in his role too he made me laugh after you know forgot what he says he goes take that he, he lets it sit there for a second and then he just goes son of a bitch i just I, that made me laugh so hard like jr can he's so passionate about what he does he can he can make you know chicken salad out of chicken shit so for what it's worth it did what it had to do according to the crowd but the only you know downside is that it had to be taz yeah i mean from 
I think I gave up any hope, any and all hope with Taz a long time ago. So maybe this wasn't quite as deflating as <laughs> as it perhaps should have been. Um, but I mean, it did. It got over with the crowd. I think Jr. is just so loved by this WWF audience that like the fans just get into it. It's not really a match, is it? It's just the. the it's just a. The match is just there to set up the spot where JR gets up and hits him with the jar of sweets. That's that's it. Like the the match isn't there to be good or to entertain you. It's just a vehicle for setting up that angle at the end. And if that match is there for that reason, then I guess you have to say it did its job and it ticked all the boxes and it worked and it got over and the crowd were really happy with all of this. It's just such a shame that it's Taz. And yes, what a waste. So next up, we have a hardcore match with Shane McMahon defending the WWF hardcore title against Steve Blackman. Blackman chased Shane early. Shane jumped the barrier and went into the crowd. Uh, Blackman followed him with a trash can and uh, hit him in the head as they battled in the crowd with that trash can lid. Um, Blackman sent Shane into a trash can and they went back to ringside eventually. Blackman hitting a thrust kick. Uh, Blackman put a trash can on Shane's upper body and then hit it with sticks, followed by a sidekick that knocked Shane down. Blackman had a strap around Shane's neck, put him into a single-leg crab submission. Uh, TNA ran out to save Shane. Um, they uh, hit a two-handed... Uh, sorry, Albert hit a two-handed chokeslam uh, on Steve Blackman, followed by Test hitting a, uh, hitting a trash can lid shot. An elbow off the top by a test onto the trash can lid that was on Steve Blackman's face. Blackman tried to fight back, but the heels knocked him down. Um, Shane hit a leaping attack with a street sign to lay down some more damage before Shane put the leather strap around Blackman's neck and they took him over to the entrance area. Test tried dropping an equipment a box of tools on Blackman, but uh, Blackman avoided it. Albert accidentally hit Test with a kendo stick and... Uh, Blackman got the stick and beat on both guys with it. Shane climbed the metal scaffolding that was by the entranceway, and Blackman went after him, climbing high up into not quite the rafters, but very high above uh, the ground. Uh, Blackman's chasing him up there with the kendo stick in hand. He goes after Shane with the kendo stick. Blackman hits Shane in the back. He hits him again, and down Shane went. It was a huge drop. I really can't overstate. It was so high. Um, Shane off the scaffold that was part of the entrance, and he goes crashing below into some black padded area. The crowd went absolutely crazy. Blackman climbed down a few levels lower before hitting an elbow, getting the cover, and picking up the win after 10 minutes. Steve Blackman, the new hardcore champion. This match will probably be completely forgotten about by a month or two's time, but I don't think we'll ever forget Shane McMahon falling off that scaffold, Rory. Uh, no, we won't. Uh, we're not supposed to either. Uh, of the three goals I talked about in the preamble, this was goal number one, and it was very much achieved with a huge, great check mark. The eight minutes leading up to the bump were the eight minutes leading up to the bump. We need not detain ourselves for too long talking about though about those other than to say it was standard issue maybe slightly higher than that but only just hardcore quality action i do think that blackman brings a little bit of legitimacy to this category of pro wrestling and i think the hardcore title has needed it after a long period of comedy right let's talk about the bump as we are 
going to use it the shorthand for for many, many years to come. Okay. Shane practices one a lot over the weekend to his credit, about four or five times, I believe, landing on crash mats, etc., etc. And the bump itself was extremely safe. Now, so it should be. Now, it looked like he was landing on some nice, big, safe, soft padding. Doesn't rankle with or annoy me in the slightest. I am prepared to fill in the obvious gaps with my mind's eye if it means that somebody is going to walk away from this at the end of the night. Now, we've seen far too many occasions where that hasn't happened, and it should have done. Here it did, and I'm very, very pleased to say that. Looked amazing, got the pop it deserved, all the kudos in the world for Shane for agreeing to it, and it's going to live on in video packages until probably long after we have finished talking about pro wrestling. One big however coming, and it's not Shane's fault. I'm going to lay the blame, if that's the right word, at Daddy Dearest's door on this one, and this is it. A bit later on, we are going to be talking about 15 minutes of awe-inspiring action, which should really be the come away from this pay-per-view. And as I said in the news, it did steal the show, so it still succeeded, but... I just wonder if this wasn't put in there to show, well, okay, these guys can fall off 20-foot ladders, pal, but look what the product of my loins can do, 60 feet all the way down. (laughs) I just wonder if it was there to, not explicitly, but just so Vince McMahon has this one to launch on people in unguarded moments over the coming years and say, yeah, you did that, but look look what my boy did. I don't know how true that is. I don't know how much persuading it took for Shane to agree to it, but knowing Vince like we do, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to consider that as a possibility. But yeah, well done, Shane, for taking this bump and putting enough thought behind it to make sure that it was safe before you did it. But please, nothing like this ever again. Leave this sort of thing to the professionals, like the type of people we'll see in about 30 minutes' time. But Shane, well done, but... That's enough now, eh? Yeah, that um, camera angle for the bump, the like long sort of across the side, like across the crowd, side on towards the entrance ramp, where you could really see just how far Shane was falling as he was falling was was stunning. How high do you do you think this was? Because JR said fifty feet. That sounds high. But I think it was probably looking at the perspective of where the ladders were for the later match and where their cage is normally erected, but hell in a cell. I, I think 50 is probably a pretty fair estimate. Yeah, I, it, when JR said it, I was like, 50 feet, like, hmm. And then you see some of the replays and you're like, God, Shane just fell 50 feet. Like, it was unbelievable. D, uh, what did you make of, well, the match, I guess, but this finish? <laughs> what? When, when I mean, the match was just, uh, you know, it was just for that finish. Um, I was, I was wondering why the hell they they put the title on Shane, but it was just because they needed to get this done. Um, always the means to an end, as they say. So when you talk about the the camera angle through the side of the arena, not only do you see Shane's fall, but you see everybody's reaction. Now it's a different type of pop. It's more, is he dead? Pop. Like, people stood up, and I saw hands on heads, like, what the hell did I just see? What's happening? Um, 
you know, not not more not like was that a mistake because you know it was a, it was an obvious bump, but it was more like holy crap, is he okay? Like it was shock. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> kind of funny to watch Steve Blackman go down about 10, 15 feet so he can drop his elbow. <laughs> but any 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 smart man would do that. Uh, speaking of smart men, uh, it was a crazy decision for Shane to to go ahead and do this bump. He doesn't need to do it. He is, you know, re- respect for him. And I'm sure he got a lot of thank yous in the back for that. Um, but it's something that he doesn't need to do. He's the guy said he doesn't need to work. He does. I mean, this is purely you can tell he just loves the business. This is purely for entertainment. Um, he wants to be one of the guys he loves the business. He grew up in the business and to have a stamp, um, something that's going to live on for a long time is uh, something to be proud of. Uh, you know, when you compare it to the match that we're going to talk to in just a few minutes, um, I, ne- I never I never thought of that. That's a good point that Roy brought up. But looking back, even now, I don't think I ever thought of Shane's bump beating anything in the TLC match, because I feel like Shane's bump was just for the sake of the bump, for the sake of reaction. I feel like everything that happened in that TLC match made a lot of sense. And that's something I'll get into when we get there. But uh, I was going to say crazy match, but it was just, it was, it was nothing. It was garbage cans and candlesticks. But that bump, that bump is something that we're going to talk about for a long time. I mean, if I'm going to be really nit picky it would be like the match didn't need like the nine minutes that went before the bump like um but i mean the by the time the bump happens you don't that's it, it's not really something that i'm going to be criticizing like they built to this um it was spectacular it was a crazy stunt i mean it was carefully planned and executed well and executed as safe as possible but i'm with rory you don't need shane mcmahon falling off things um, over and over and over again. Uh, this was brilliant moment. Um, the highlight of the show so far, like a, a spectacle. Um, but we don't need Shane to be taking this level of risk frequently. Um, but yeah, just um, a crazy spot. One of those things that when it happens, you just know, like in real time, that okay wrestling fans could be talking about that forever like that that moment people will always remember that spot from SummerSlam 2000 Shane McMahon and people will know exactly what you mean um yeah a, a special moment that really uh kind of the first meal stamp on this show as like a memorable positive one um was this crazy spectacular reckless but well executed and planned spot we follow that up with a two out of three falls match with uh, Chris Benoit facing Chris Jericho. Both men very aggressive early early on. Jericho sends Benoit into the corner with a catapult, followed by a German suplex. They teased the tombstone spot with Benoit hitting a shoulder breaker. Jericho came back with a bulldog, uh, but the lion sort missed because Benoit got his knees up. Benoit got on the cripple across face. Jericho tapped out to lose the first fall. And Benoit's music played briefly to signify that he'd won. I think that confused the crowd a little bit. Maybe it confused me as well in the notes. I was just I, I didn't expect the music to play in between falls in a two out of three falls match. But there you go. 
Second fall began with Benoit applying the Crippler Cross face submission again. Jericho managed to slowly crawl his way to the bottom of the rope and broke free. Benoit continued his offense, sending Jericho shoulder first into the ring post a few times before nailing a forearm. Uh, before Jericho came back, nailing a forearm to get some offense going. Benoit avoided a punch and hit a German suplex, and Jericho rode through another suplex attempt. He got the walls of Jericho's submission on. Benoit was close to the ropes. So Jericho walked towards the center of the ring and put his knee on the head of Benoit, looked more like the lion tamer, and Benoit tapped out. Again, Jericho's music played. It's not an issue, just something I noted, and we are tied at one apiece. Third fall underway, Jericho with a backbreaker. He goes up top and hits a flying elbow for two. They battle with each other, going uh, with each guy going for moves, and Benoit ends up hitting a dragon suplex for a two count. He goes up top, but Jericho follows him and hits a top rope Hurricane Rana. Jericho's in control, hitting some clotheslines, followed by a spinning heel kick for two as Benoit's foot's on the bottom rope. Lawler then gives us a great prediction that, a Chris, that Chris will win this match. Well played, sir. Jericho connected with Lion's Salt, uh, but his arm was too hurt and that prevented him from making the cover. He, uh, Jericho goes into the rope. Uh, Jericho gets a cradle, but Benoit... Uh, gets a cover as his own and holds the bottom rope with his right hand and the ref doesn't see this for the leverage, which is enough for him to get the free and the pinfall victory in the third fall, winning this match 2-1 to one after 14 minutes of action. Uh, D, what did you make of this more sort of technical match after the crazy hardcore bump that we'd uh, uh, seen beforehand? No, I loved seeing these guys together. The only thing is that... Uh, to have a two out of three falls match only go 14 minutes was a little rushed for me as far as the falls go. I wish, I mean, if you, if I would have known they would have gone that long or that short amount of time, I would have just said, you know, just make it a one fall match. But there was a story to be told because Benoit held the bottom rope at the end. I don't know if that leaves uh, the feud open to be continued or if that's just a heel tactic, you know, to get uh, more heat on Benoit. But the match itself was awesome. Um, these are, these are two guys that I, I loved, I loved them when they were together, uh, earlier this year. And, and like I said, the, the, the TVs allowed them to be put together because they were replacing people in mixed tag matches. And then they cross paths again, uh, crazy attack from Benoit to Jericho with the security gate, you know, taking Jericho out for a couple of weeks. So the, the story made sense. The match was great. I just felt like it was a little rushed. Um, but yeah, not, no, no bad points for me at all to talk about. The only thing is when they said that Chris was going to win, I was like, they're wrong because Chris lost. Very good. <laughs> Rory, over to you. Oh, I can't bother that. I'll try. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. I, I totally agree with D when he talks about uh, the two out of three balls, you know, how truncated that was. On in the background, it's just finished, actually. I had Clash of the Champions 15 of all things, uh, Ric Flair versus Bobby Eaton, the main event there, two out of three falls, and that was squeezed into 14 minutes, and you're left wanting more, but you want to tuck in there and then, really, and if you're going to have a match between those guys, and it's going to be booked as two out of three falls, then it's got to go 25 minutes. I can I can look past the possible kayfabe issues there, and i yeah, if pro wrestling was on the up and up, it's highly possible that it would be one fall apiece after six or seven minutes. But we know it's not always going to work like that. 
I have my issues with things like Iron Man matches always going to a dramatic finish, but two out of three falls, I can stretch it a little bit. And I do wish we'd got that here. The work in those 14 minutes, though, as you was expect, excellent. These two know each other extremely well. They can hit damn near four stars in their sleep. And I think they managed to pretty much achieve that here from a pure in-ring work perspective. I love seeing Jericho break out the Lion Tamer. It's been far too long. Walls of Jericho is little more than a bog-standard Boston Crab. I hope the Lion Tamer sticks around for a while. And it solidifies Benoit as a heel. Like I said last month, I think there are portions of the crowd who want to cheer this guy, and understandably so, because he's just so great in the ring. He probably could beat Chris Jericho with an inside cradle reversal if he wanted to, but because he's a shithead, he's going to hold on to the rope to make absolutely certain he can get the victory because he can cheat. So he's going to. Yeah, Good stuff here. Probably a little bit short of their best work, but again, not too far. We're splitting hairs a quarter, half of a star here and there. Yeah. I think we needed a good solid 15-minute in-ring match, and these two could always be counted upon to deliver on that. But I don't think we needed the two out of three full stipulation here. Yeah, this is the kind of match that a year or two ago, like a WWF pay-per-view would really be missing in the middle of the show. Yes. Um, and WCW had abundance. Now we've come to accept it, haven't we? Which could be a dangerous path to go down, but I'm not going to worry about it too much yet. Yeah, I agree. But for now, um, I mean, I, I, I'm exactly with you on, it's probably a, a tad below the, the best stuff we've seen from these two guys. Um, but like you said, minimal. Um, and this was still excellent. Uh, I do have the exact same issues with the two out of three full stip and, and the, the fact that there's three falls within 14 minutes between these two is irritating. But I mean, if you want to try and get over their submissions, the fact that like you you know that these guys have got submissions that can beat anyone at any time, um, in, including each other. Um, and then the, the finish with the Benoit hold, grabbing the rope, um, it's just a way of... Just it protects Jericho a bit, but also enhances that Benoit character that, as you aptly describe him, Rory, a shithead. So, yes, I uh, really uh, like this. It was a breath of fresh air on this show, a massive change of pace from <laughs> the Steve Blackman Shame at Man match, and um, probably the best match on the show. Well, I say probably, certainly the best match on the show um, up until uh, this point. We had a video package setting up our next match, tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh, my. Thank you. For the uh, WWF Tag Team titles, <laughs> uh, champions Edge and Christian defending against the Harley Boys and the Dudley Boys. So uh, this, I tried to write down <laughs> as much as I could. Um, my match report is probably going to be all over the place here, so do bear with me. We're underway. Matt throws a chair at Bubba. We get a running splash in the corner by Christian on Devon. Edge hits a drop toe hole on Devon onto a chair. Bubba sends a ladder into Edge's face, followed by Bubba DDT on Christian as the crowd chants for tables. Bubba tries to climb, but the Hardys pull him down. Jeff and Devon climb up. Edge hits a double Russian leg sweep to bring them both down. Christian goes up, Bubba goes after him and hits a full Nelson slam. Jeff tries to climb, so Edge shoves him off and Jeff lands on another ladder. 
um, that was uh, set like a seesaw. That so it also hit Matt in the head. Concerto attempt by Edge and Christian uh, missed as, as uh, Jeff moves and Bubba then takes them all out with ladder shots to the head. We get a Bubba slam on Edge, leading to uh, uh, Devon hitting a headbutt to the groin. Uh, Bubba tells Devon to get the tables, which the crowd absolutely love. And the Dudleys hit a 3D on Christian through the table. We've got two tables on the floor outside, and the Dudleys put two tables on them, so they're stacked four. Uh, Edge nails both Dudleys with chair shots to the head. Matt hits a twist of fate on Edge before a leg drop off a ladder on Edge to follow. Jeff leaps over the ladder and hits a leg drop on Edge as well for good measure before Matt traps Edge between the ladder and slams Christian off the top rope onto Edge on the ladder. Jeff sets Bubba up on two tables on the floor. He knocks Devon down and climbs up a ladder. He goes off the top of the ladder, hits a swanton, but Bubba moves, so Jeff goes crashing through the tables in a repeat of the spot from WrestleMania, but this time his opponent is missing. Uh, Matt brings a big ladder into the ring. Christian hits a reverse DDT on Matt off the ladder. Edge and Devon go crashing off a ladder before Bubba looks stunned at ringside. He climbs up the big ladder, but Edge and Christian shove the ladder and Bubba goes crashing from the big ladder in the centre of the ring through the four tables stacked up outside. Edge and Christian do a slow climb on the big ladder. Lita runs down to the ring uh, and she shoves the ladder to knock down Edge and Christian. The crowd going wild as Lita urge Matt to climb the ladder. Matt gets uh, near the top, but Devon Tilts the ladder and Matt goes crashing back first through two tables on the outside, which is an absolutely ridiculous bump. Lita checks on Matt on the outside, so Edge hits Lita with a spear on the floor and JR calls him a son of a bitch. Uh, Devon climbs up one side of the ladder with Jeff on the other. Both guys hold on to the titles. Um, Edge pulls the ladder away as Devon falls. Edge and Christian throw a ladder at Jeff to knock him down before Edge and Christian set up the big ladder, climb together up the big ladder on opposite sides and pull down their tag team titles to retain the belts after just chaos and insanity. Uh, Rory, uh, what did you make of our first ever TLC match? Fantastic job with the notes there, Mr. White. They never mind the people taking unprotected chair shots and falling through tables from 25 feet. What about the guy who has to note this stuff down for podcasts? Isn't it about time that he got his due? We're going to make sure he gets it now. So, bravo. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, my, indeed. He's the true star of this one. Watershed moment achieved here. This is, we talk about stories ending new stories beginning this is either the end of a chapter or the beginning of a new one we've been building towards a match like this over the last year or so involving various combinations of these guys we had the no mercy one which was thanks to me having the casting vote our match of the year last year in the face of much attempted provocation i stood firm I was on Chris White's side on that one. And we had the WrestleMania match between these three that I thought was a, I wasn't on the WrestleMania show, so say briefly now, was a great spot fest. Not sure I would call it a great match. This, I have no hesitation in calling a truly instant classic match. The things they did in this, literally death-defying, utterly awe-inspiring. 
we don't need to go back through each and every spot. I implore everybody just to watch this. Mm. Let your jaw hit the floor. Let it hang there for a few more minutes and then try to take in and make sense of what you've seen. It might take a few minutes, but you will eventually see the sense. <laughs> the sense behind the sense of violence. The sense behind this match. That these were six people who can do these astounding things, but they're not just doing them for the sake of it, which I felt that they were four months ago. They were doing it because this was the only way that they would be able to keep the other four guys down and do what they wanted to do, and that is retrieve the tag team titles. would have been very easy and entirely understandable. Very easy. <laughs> yeah, easy, right. 25-foot swanton bomb through a, through a table. <laughs> Just another day at the office, mate. No, I don't intend to make light of this, of course not. But it would have been very... They would have had a lot of compliments for this if it had just been spot after spot after spot with no real rhyme or reason. It still would have been in the four-star range, and quite rightly so. But they managed to make a match out of it, and what a skill that is. Testament to the abilities of all six involved that they were able to put this together. And it built incrementally from exchanging punches in the first minute to Matt Hardy falling 20 feet Backwards through two tables. Staggering stuff. I almost feel redundant in trying to describe this match because I can't even come remotely close to what these guys did. Suffice to say, there are two ways we can go from this one. We can use this as the final period mark full stop to say no no more you are not topping this one in terms of Kodak moments and in terms of match quality you're not trumping them so we're not going to try or is there another level we can find here I shudder to think what the other level could be I hope that common sense, for common sense it would be, prevails, and the WWF look to the former option rather than the latter one. The guys involved in this match deserve a lot of time to recover from it as well. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. This one has gone right into the running for match of the year when we do our awards in four months' time. I'm struggling to think of anything that could realistically beat it right now. There was a match at the Royal Rumble that might have a say, but if you're asking me at this point, I think this tops that. It tops a lot of anything I've seen from any promotion over the last two or three years almost, and you just have to stand and applaud these fellows for what they put their bodies through for our entertainment and I'm going to stress this one more time, in the context of a match where the goal was to win a tag team championship. It was a pleasure and a privilege to observe it. Well, I hope it's a long, long time before we're called upon to observe anything like it again. <laughs>
your thoughts on the TLC match? Um, I've a, I have it here written on my notes. Probably planned since Mania. So at WrestleMania, these three teams walked in to WrestleMania 2000, and um, they put on a show. Like Rory said, it was a spot fest, but it was it was the start of something new. And at that show, I was stating how it, you know it, that show as 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 much as it didn't really deliver, it made me excited for the future with all the talent that they had. And I was you know talking about TNA, um, Test and Albert. So they were they were lackeys for Shane here in SummerSlam, but you know, the, it's it's just because this is SummerSlam, and these are the three teams that are holding the division together. So exactly, why not your second biggest show of the year have your guys who stole the show at the biggest show of the year, and have them just steal the show again? And now what's cool about it is that it's an it's an incarnation of a new match. It's a TLC match. Uh, you know, they had a triangle ladder match, what they called it, at WrestleMania 2000. But now it's a TLC match. So I can't imagine what what that match can hold in the future. So it, it was smart booking because it keeps the DQs away from Edge and Christian because they were getting themselves intentionally disqualified to keep the tag titles. So how do you do that? How do you get a righteous defense? You take away the disqualification and then you put in all the elements that all teams have brought to the, uh, to the table, you know, the chairs of Edge and Christian with the concerto, the ladders, obviously the Hardys and the tables with the Dudleys. And this match was insane. Psychology wise, everything made sense. Every spot made sense. And the spots themselves are stories within themselves that they can be chapters. This this match can be a whole book, and each bump can be a chapter because everything made sense. And I applaud all six men for putting their bodies on the line. I, I just wish that the Hardys would have gotten the win with them being in their home state. But I'm not I'm not mad at anything about this match. It's just. These are the guys to carry the division for a long, long time, and rightfully so. Edge and Christian uh, just add another layer to their character because they walked into WrestleMania kind of, you know, between the heel and the face, but and then they really developed their characters over these past few months, being the annoying heels and you know, tricky heels in in order to keep their titles, and they still hold on to their titles. It, it, this match is just I had to watch it twice I watched it as a fan in shock and then I, I went back at it and just in amazement to, to everything that these men did um, easily match of the night for me yeah I, I mean what else is to be said about this match that you two haven't already covered um, unbelievably good um, right at the top of the match of the year list for me as we stand, a little spoiler, a little preview for the award show, unless anything can top it in the next few months. Um, yeah, I think plenty of great moments between these teams so far, but this is, in my opinion, comfortably the best. All the spots were perfect. The psychology behind them was perfect. The biggest bumps in the match were used to write guys out the rest of it. Bubba going through that table, the, the tables off the big ladder to the outside, he's not seen again. Matt falling backwards and taking that ridiculous bump 
He's not seen again. And it plays into the finish. Like the Dudley's lost the guy, the Hardy's lost the guy. Edge and Christian had the numbers on them. And that and that's where it comes from. And like just it feels like they I mean, not to diminish like this aspect of it and like the, the the but like these teams could always do the spots is what i'm saying but now it's the notes in between and the psychology behind it that elevates it from just as rory said great spot fest to great matches and they've made that jump um you can't do this type of match every night you can't do this type of match every month uh and even if you could nor should you because of diminishing returns, even outside of just the risk to the performers' bodies. Um, but I don't think this will be the last we see of this kind of match between these teams, and maybe they revisit again at another big show. Um, I mean, immediately you'd think you could do another one at WrestleMania next year. Do you want the same three teams at WrestleMania, you had the match this year and then SummerSlam, and this is so far away from where we sit. Um, it's impossible to say. And working this style, any one of these guys could get hurt at any point, even though I'd say this match was probably as safe as it could be. But even then, that doesn't really say too much about how safe this match was. Um, yeah, just I adored this match. All six guys des- deserve just respect and admiration for just what they're willing to do to have a match this good and how they execute that plan it's just just perfect and i'm uh devastated to say that following the insanity of the tables ladders and chairs we come crashing back down to earth um (laughs) As we follow things up with a stink face match between the cat and Terry. Dear God, I thought we were past this. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell on it. I have not written a match report. After two minutes of some sexually suggestive moves, Al Snow gave the cat head and she used it to blast Terry with. One stink face later, this was over. Thank God. Can you repeat Gee. that last sentence? <laughs> I cannot. I I, uh, I I just I, I just want to know I just want to know where Terry got blasted. It's important. <laughs> oh my god! Well, take it away. Um, I have nothing else to say about this. D, the stink face match is all yours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I I'd rather just skip this. It wasn't meant to be a five star you know, match from Japan or anything. It was just, it, it did what it did for the guys in the crowd. Um, as, as a respectable gentleman who does not uh, subscribe to that type of tomfoolery, I was not interested in this match. Um, sarcasm all over that sentence. But um, no, nah, it was, it was I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the hell it was. It, Al Snow is, much more talented. Perry Saturn is much more talented. Uh, the girls did a piss break uh, match. You know, you go and take a piss and come back, and hopefully it's over by then. Rory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you, in the immortal words of Ursula Le Guin, when you light a candle, you also cast a shadow. <laughs> 
very, very regal, sir. <laughs> yeah, and this match certainly deserves going deep into the literary quotes box, does it not? <laughs> definitely. No, just yeah, Chris. No, no, no more of this now. Definitely not. Okay, just no more of this. How many times can we say that? <laughs> until we are. Until, well, I think we're long since blue in the face. But um, how many more times will we say that? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We need to that's start keeping tally, tally marks for this. Yeah, um, just a detriment to the show on every level, right? Like, like I don't know what, I don't know if I, I like, am too like blinded by rage at this stage to to be ignoring and glaring rage. positive. No, but like, this is my Undertaker, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's just every pay per view now. Well, not. Well, no, it used to be every pay-per-view. The last couple of months, it's not always every pay-per-view. But when it is, it's infuriating. Because they give me the hope that we're done. And then give it a month and we're right back here. Um, Yeah, a real shame. But I suppose, I mean, if they say, like, you need to sort of call the crowd off again before you build them back up for the main event. I mean, this is a match to do that because I saw the best match that I've seen this year or potentially many other years followed by this. And I was sufficiently cool. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. And uh, oh, oh, I'm, good. <laughs> yes. I'm sure this will be much better and brighten, brighten our our uh, opinions of where we are in this show. We have a no DQ match between The Undertaker and Kane. Oh, so The Undertaker attacks Kane outside the ring to start. He tries to rip off Kane's mask, but Kane fights him off and nails some punches. Uh, Kane brings a chair into the ring. Uh, Undertaker punches Kane uh, to knock the chair down, and uh, Taker hits Kane in the in the back. Um, the Undertaker rips off a part of Kane's mask, and Kane begins to freak out about it. Kane sends Taker face first into the steel steps a few times before Kane misses an attack with the steps on the floor. Taker throws his steps at Kane on the floor before we head back inside. Kane punches Taker in the groin for a low blow, and Kane's bleeding um, from the forehead from where the mask has been exposed. Undertaker comes back and tackles Kane, hits him with some punches. Taker tries to grab the mask again, but Kane um, gets a choke before Taker breaks it by hitting him in the groin. Um, he then succeeded, ripping the mask off Kane's face, but the camera didn't zoom in, and Kane runs away, and this one just just ends. Just that that's where my match review ends. Just a no contest and a no disqualification match. Uh, JR on commentary tries the cover for the lack of finish. He said, I don't think this match ever got started because I never heard a bell, or I did JR. It rang when The Undertaker went for Kane outside the ring. Uh, the fans cheered as Undertaker held up the mask in the ring, and this one is thankfully over. Rory, your thoughts? I don't think this match ever got started. Much like Scott Keith, I love shoot comments that aren't supposed to be shoot comments. Um, you're asking me to assess the in-ring match between The Undertaker <laughs> and Kane. Yes, are the things I put myself up for. Hey, um, I could have chosen any other calling in life, any other hobby, but... Um, pro wrestling podcaster means i have to do these things so i i know my casket and i shall lay in it uh the in-ring action 
I'm going to be charitable to Undertaker when he doesn't deserve it, because you know he's going to put a hit out on me otherwise, was there enough, I suppose. It wasn't outlandishly horrible. It was just terrible. These are the these are the parameters I'm working within for a Kane Undertaker match in the SummerSlam of 2000. Just bad is where we are. And it was seven and a half minutes and it didn't end. And I fear we're going to go back to this well again next month. And everybody needs to be prepared for yet more rants from me, I'm afraid. Um, I just hope my ticker is up to it. D, uh, anything positive to glean from this one? Um, no. I, I feel like... <laughs> you tried. I, feel you like I, tried. I, I tried. I did try. The only thing that I can think of, just like with the Taz Lawler match, I just feel like we're watching a different show than the audience in the arena. Because it must be a different feeling, maybe. You know, when it's a live show. You're excited to see your favorite wrestlers. And, you know, the, it almost seems like it was... Uh, it, was it a mask match? Because as soon as the mask, I don't know if you if you guys ever want to go back and check it out. When the mask was pulled off, the referee, I think his name is Jack Doan, he clocked out. He was done. He gingerly just walked out the ring and music started playing. And I was just like, <laughs> what? The, what, what, did, uh, what just happened? Okay. But then the, the whole the whole story of the match was the mask. So I, I was like, did, you should have establish this uh you know if i want to if i if i want to save this story at all i would have written something like okay fine you're a monster i'm gonna show the world how much of a monster you are and take that mask off then it would have made sense all you needed was that one sentence because throughout the entire match he was going after the mask and the commentators were pushing it and there was no i didn't i was so confused like I said, it was it was a cool prospect because they're both, you know, got good looks and they're both big guys and there's stories behind them. They're, there's years worth of stories. But that was it. He pulled off the mask and the music started playing right then. And I was like, who the hell is Book? And the, the ref, it was the best part. The ref, the, the mask came off. The ref's like, all right, guys, have a good night. And just walked out. Yeah, I, I mean, the, I guess the kindest thing I can say about this is that it was basically just more of an angle than a match but it still went seven minutes like if they just gone in there like tried to grab the mask Kane broke it up he's gone back grabbed the mask and Kane just flees like we're in there and we're out in 90 seconds then it's it's a bit more forgivable because i don't really want to see these guys wrestling anyway but then they go seven minutes gloria is actually in the middle of an email asking wwe for those seven minutes back (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not asking them I'm telling them to give them back just these seven minutes and not the last couple of months um, yeah um, yeah not good um, I would say and then JR doing his best to cover on commentary for just like some bullshit that's going on <laughs> like the match just ended because Kane ran away and the mask was off and like JR uh, I just like the bell did go. Like, I'm sorry, JR. I heard it. Um, I don't. I don't like this because I don't like calling you out because I like you a lot. But there was a bell. I'm sorry. Yeah, r- load of rubbish. Um, so back to back for following TLC, we've had um, two quite low matches. 
Um, I'm feeling more deflated about them than I thought I would um, after recapping the last two. And let's see if the main event can do enough to uh, pick things back up as we head into The Rock defending the WWF Championship against Triple H and Kurt Angle in a triple threat match. So Kurt makes his entrance first. He's uh, on the mic and he says he wants to apologize for not kissing Stephanie a heck of a lot sooner. He says that he didn't get these Olympic medals from backing down or second-guessing himself. He says he's proud of what he did, and he gave Stephanie the kind of passion that Triple H never could. And Hunter made his entrance at this point looking pretty peeved. Um, he attacked Angle with clotheslines and punches, um, and the match isn't underway yet, so O'Hebner's is in there trying to break things up, but gets shoved down. Um, Angle uh, clotheslines, Hunter, which sends him over the top to the floor. Before back inside, Hunter then sends Angle over the top to the floor. Uh, Hunter sends Angle shoulder first into the steps before clearing off the Spanish announce table. Triple H hits a pedigree on the Spanish announce table, uh, but the table gave way and it looked like Angle gets hit hard. Um, he seems quite legit, legitimately out of it here, and JR notices, notes that Angle's eyes are glazed over. Um, Triple H at this point grabs a sledgehammer and The Rock's music hit. Uh, so The Rock's on fire um, immediately in this match. in punches and gets a Samoan drop on Hunter. They brawl outside of the ring before Angle. Um, he's out there sitting... Uh, what, sorry, while Angle is out sitting on a chair with doctors trying to talk to him. He's put on a stretcher looking dazed. Back inside, Triple H sends The Rock into the top rope, which leads to Rock bumping over the top to the floor. Hunter ran towards the uh, entrance area to grab Angle, but referee Hell Hebner's talking to Hunter the whole time as Hunter punches Angle twice in the head. Rock does a cat's bolt that sends Hunter into the, uh, the steel by the entrance before punching Triple H in the groin. Steph walks out to check out an Angle in the stretcher where fans begin chanting, Slut at her, because... They do. Uh, Hunter and The Rock uh, brawling around the ringside with Hunter hitting a clothesline on the floor. Stephanie goes down to the ring. Hunter tells her to get the belt. Um, she goes into the ring and tries to hit The Rock, but he moves and she accidentally hits Hunter in the face. A low blow by Triple H to The Rock and Hunter tells Stephanie to go, so she leaves. The Rock comes back with a leaping clothesline and Hunter hits a neckbreaker. Hunter gets the sledgehammer and brings it into the ring, hitting a hammer shot to the gut. Hunter works on Rock's ribs with repeated shoulder tackle before a knee to face face buster by Hunter gets two. Outside, Hunter picks up the Rock and drives him back first into the ring post. Rocky comes back with some punches, followed by a neck breaker, but Hunter stops him with a knee to the groin. Triple H heads up top. Rock stops him and hits a superplex with the Rock off the middle rope. There's a shot of Stephanie talking to Angle on the stretcher and she pleads with Kurt to help Triple H and Kurt says that he'll do it for her. The Rock covers Hunter with one arm and gets two. You get a belly-to-belly -belly suplex by Rock, which gets another two count. Angle makes his return with Stephanie, uh, but he has a tough time getting down to the ring. She's grabbing him by the arm to help direct him and guide him down there. Angle grabs Rock's foot to trip him up and Triple H hits a pedigree on Rock and covers, but Angle pulls Hunter out of the ring and sends him into the steel steps. Angle goes in and covers Rock but gets two and the crowd going nuts for this. Back elbow by Angle gets two before he hits a belly-to-belly -belly flex on Rock for two. And JR noted that Stephanie hasn't moved a step to help Triple H who's out there on the floor. Rock hits an overhead belly-to-belly -belly and a DDT for two and you can see 
Earl Hebner touched uh, Kurt's left arm as if he was telling him to get his shoulder up because Angle didn't seem with it. Hunter's on the apron uh, and Angle's sent into him and Hunter goes back to the floor. Rocket's a rock bottom for two on Angle and Hunter's there to pull Rock out of the ring. He sends Rocky into the ring post. He tells Steph to get the hammer, so she slides the sledgehammer into the ring. She gets in the ring too. Hunter goes to punch Kurt, but he ducks and Hunter accidentally punched Stephanie. The crowd go wild at this spot. You could see Hunter uh, had sort of helped Kurt m- move and guide his head out of the way. Um, Angle uh, hit Hunter in the head with a sledgehammer. Um, Kurt goes for the cover, but Rock breaks it up. Rock punches Angle over the top to the floor before hitting People's Elbow and Triple H and covering for the win to retain the WWF title after 18 minutes of main event action. Rory, what did you make of this? Oh, wow, what to make of this one indeed. Wow. Um, okay, it was two real sections to talk about here. There's what happened to Angle and there's the rest of the match. Now, what was the original plan for this one is that indeed Triple H was intended to pedigree angle through the table, take him out for a little while. The Rock comes down, so he and Triple H have their match, you know, the one, and then Angle was due to come back. I, I'm guessing here, but probably after about five or six, five or six minutes worth. As it was, he was out for 13 to 14 minutes because he was, make no doubt about it, legitimately concussed by that spot uh gave way under their weight so there was no protection for angle's head when he was in the pedigree position and he banged it half on the side of the table half on the concrete instant concussion everybody involved knew it you could see triple h telling him to stay down apparently the only response he got from kurt angle at the time was snoring noises it's it is scary stuff isn't it it's now, I can't imagine myself being in that situation. How these guys were able to put anything together after that is testament to their professionalism. So we've got an extended Triple H versus Rock match, and there's no real need for me to recap or assess that one. I've done that many times over the last three and a half years, but I'm not going to get on them too much about this. They had no real option but to have a TV-style match Virtually the same one they had on SmackDown a couple of weeks before, but I can't ding them in these circumstances. One thing I did note, and I haven't seen this confirmed in any of the sheets or online, but I had the impression that when Triple H was uh, telling Stephanie to get the belt or to go to the back or whatever, that that was legitimately happening. Obviously, it fit the character stuff perfectly, which is a very good plus point. But I just wonder if he was relaying the rebooked match to her at that point. It fulfilled both of the circumstances, if so, so all well and good. But it felt like we were watching a live production meeting because, in essence, that is what we were seeing. They were rebooking a world title match before our very eyes. Uh, Triple H runs after Kurt Angle under the auspice of punching him. But really, he's discussing with Old Heaven and what the hell they're going to do for the next 10 minutes. <sighs> now, this could have fallen apart very badly. The fact they were able to get a watchable to good title match out of it for 10 minutes. 
it's hugely impressive stuff. Yes, again, it helped that it's Rock and Triple H in there. They know each other, like, and probably including the back of their hands at this point. But no matter, they've still got to do it. Possible negative coming up here now. And I don't want to be unduly harsh. I've had four days to think about this. The Federation top brass barely had four minutes. But Angle going back out there when he has obviously had a concussion. He's there. He's returned. He's taking bumps. Just no. Somebody's cooler head should have prevailed there and said, no, you're staying back. Even if you want to do it as a storyline where they had the shot of Stephanie there and Kurt is on the stretcher. That was, and she tells him to go back out there for Triple H. That was clearly done on the fly because that wasn't a produced segment. Uh, the camera was wobbly. There was feedback on the mics. So that was also done very hastily. What I'm doing now, and again, we all know what hindsight is. I would have had Stephanie telling Angle in character not to go back out there. Don't risk it. Stay safe. Then you can play that into the storyline again down the line. But they had to get in the errant punch and Angle walking away with Stephanie after the match. I just wish they'd waited a day or so to do that. Or perhaps even more than a day, having said that, because when he cut his promo the day after, we all know how smooth and he's flawless on the mic, Kurt Angle, but he was stumbling over his words. He wasn't all there a day later. So this was as legit as legit can get, but they threw him back out there. Just have the rock pin Triple H for the win. We all know this has been a fantastic storyline, but like I said a couple of hours ago, it's far, far from finished. You can hold it back for a day or a week if you need to, to make sure the guy is healthy. All the fans in Raleigh cared about was seeing their guy, The Rock, who they do not get to witness live very often at all, get the one, two, three, retain the title. Have him and Triple H do their match, get it out of the way there, tease some form of dissension with Stephanie, have him again, have her sorry, an uh, errant belt shots or something, um, mis- interference miscue, the rock shoes are off, and then hits the rock bottom for the win, something like that. Again, I've had a few days to think about this. They didn't. I don't want to get on their case too much about it, but it was very hard watching somebody who has suffered a very real concussion going back out there just 10 minutes later because they had storyline responsibilities to achieve that's not the most important thing here the man's health has to come first and i do wish now with the benefit of four days distance they had done that very easy for me to sit here mr podcaster and say that i don't get paid for making this decisions it's not my company it's not my ass of course it isn't but i just wish they'd held off on it but Again, easy for me to say that. Match was as good as it could have been. I think it's almost unfair to try to rate and rank it. It was good. They got to a solid level. It could have been a disaster. It definitely wasn't. Congratulations to everybody involved in the heat of the moment for getting to where they got to. I just wish they'd given Angle the chance to recover. Yeah, I was super concerned about Angle throughout, like... Um, it's amazing how well this match came together considering everything like because it was a good main event um angle shouldn't have been out there at all he was so out of it like after the match where you're like okay he's through it like he can go to the back and get the medical attention he needs now even then when he he's like 
going to carry Stephanie to the back and he's trying to grab her out of the ring. And the, like you've got Oh Hebner like there, like an arm round angle, clearly mm-hmm. talking to him, like making sure he's okay to lift up Stephanie McMahon, like a willing, like willing to be carried Stephanie McMahon. But like he looks really wobbly doing it. I was worried then, like, and he'd just been in there doing spots. <laughs> like, oh, it is scary. Um, but I think the match held together just remarkably. Um, Dee, what did you make of the main event? Yeah, it was uh, it was a scary moment to watch that pedigree um, with the table breaking under the weight, you know, with the jump rather than the bump itself. Um, it says a lot about Triple H and his professionalism, the way he immediately checked on Kurt and Kurt being the machine that he is, decides to continue the match, but you can see Triple H pull him down by the tights and tell him to stay down. Um, there was a moment where uh, Earl Hebner got really close and Triple H says, uh, excuse me, Triple H said something to him, so Earl Hebner goes off camera. I'm pretty sure he's going to the producers and the timekeeper to relay some messages to the back. Um, that moment that Roy pointed out where Triple H sends Stephanie to the back, pretty sure that was all real right there and just like he said you know good point that it fits the uh, characters but i'm pretty sure it's like go back there talk to your dad find out what the hell we're gonna do and sergeant slaughter was already talking to stephanie on the way back um another uh, another little point that i wanted to make is how smart it was to for triple h to go back to kurt angle he 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 was very careful with him, by the way, when he grabbed the stretcher. And all he does was, you know, he threw a couple punches. And I think I saw Triple H uh, pretty much tell Rock, like, follow me and stop me from doing this. Just to keep including Kurt in the match. It was really hard to watch uh, Kurt come out. Um, just seeing that look on his face. Uh, I know Stephanie was playing the role, but I'm pretty sure Kurt was really telling her to just wait a minute, hold on. Um, like I said, just now, Kurt is a machine. I don't know how he did it, but a lot of professionalism on Stephanie, Earl, Rock, and Triple H all guiding him through stuff. Um, there was one point, I think it was like toward the end of the match where Kurt was like crawling towards the sledgehammer and Earl Hemner kind of put his toe on it to tell him like, that's not the spot. That's not the spot. We, we don't need that right now. So Kurt, uh, did really well, um, taking direction if any because i'm not sure how much of his mind was there but um it says it says a lot this says a lot you know about triple h rock stephanie and earl uh it was pretty much like they were all scrambling but they weren't they all kept their cool heads they all did what they had to do um i can't say enough about triple h though and how much he cared for kurt making sure that he was okay um and continuing the match um but i would have had steph probably left in the ambulance with kurt then triple h would have been like i lost where's steph oh damn she went to the hospital that would have continued the story a little bit better in my opinion but they wanted that that. that's a good idea that is really good yeah i I should definitely apply for this job so um (laughs) Yeah, because that that would have been like, why did she leave with Kurt to the, the hospital? You know, I'm hurt too. You know, so um, I'm speaking as as a boyfriend too. So, <laughs> so um, 
it, it was it was it was a good match for what it was. It was just really hard to see Kurt get, again dragged out there. Um, it was it was pretty tough. I thought of them as human beings rather than just watching wrestling. I'm like, damn, they should have just left that left that guy in the back. But they wanted that spot. They wanted the whole carrying Steph thing. But I would have substituted that with the whole Steph riding with him in the ambulance. But um, I did what it had to do. Rock one. Uh, hopefully the Triple H with Kurt Angle story continues. But let them. Let them uh, let Kurt rest for a little bit, but we all know how WWE goes. Yeah, this, like I said earlier, it came together remarkably well considering the circumstances. And I mean, this has been very apparent for a long, long, long time now. But I mean, it was only a few years ago that Triple H was like second fiddle to Shawn Michaels. And then he seemed to sort of make his way into that main event scene quite quickly and like almost not undeservedly but perhaps slightly prematurely and i think like he's proved like time and time again but especially here he is like a top level um he's a top level guy that you can rely on to be in your main event and if stuff goes wrong he's a safe and sensible pair of hands and I mean, it's not as sensible as it could have been. The sensible angle is, of course, to get Kerr out of there as quickly as possible. Um, but that wasn't the call. It wasn't, it almost certainly wasn't Triple H's call. Um, so given the tools he had at his disposal and the circumstance he found himself in, and The Rock, of course, as well, they just handled it well. And like, yeah, straight away, the, the table breaks, the, the pedigree, pedigree goes wrong. And like you can see, Hunter grabs Kurt immediately on the floor, and he's looking at him and he's talking to him. And Kurt's like pulling away from him, almost like still like in character in the match. Like his mind's not there, but it's almost a reflex, isn't it? Like at this stage, like, and he he's going to get up, and Hunter's like pushing him down, like not in a shove him to the ground wrestling move way, but in a stay down, stay down. Like he buys a bit of time by going to get the hammer, waiting for Rock and. I think they were lucky in some regard that the rock wasn't there yet because you could have the the you could cut away, have the rock's entrance, Triple H can get in the ring and Kurt's outside. You can kind of like evaluate the situation. I would have made a different call in that situation. Um but as Rory says and like it is so easy to say that now with hindsight and sat here on a podcast rather than being the guy calling the shots and you're live and it's SummerSlam, the second biggest show of the year and you've got a main event to deliver, um, it's it's just impossible to put the pressure of that real-life situation on me sitting here talking. Um, but I think this came together remarkably well. I think this was a good main event, all things considered. I, hurt, I hope Kurt's okay. Um, and I would have loved to have seen how good this could have been if there hadn't been any accidents. Um, because I think this was really good as it happened. Um, I think storyline-wise, they've been firing on all cylinders with these three guys and Steph. Um, I'd have loved to have seen what they actually did have planned for this match, had everything going to call into plan with that table spot before the match had begun. And I think that will do it for our review of SummerSlam 2000. So I'll come to you first, Rory, for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. So the three goals for this show were the Shane bump, uh, 
the TLC match and advancing the love triangle storyline. The first two, very much mission accomplished. The third one, they did get there by a very circuitous route. I wish they had, you know, backed up the car at that point, but they felt they had to get there, so they did. So in that respect, this show was a success. There were no other real targets for them to hit. There were so many blah at best matches on here that didn't try or were put into the position of being anything other than blah matches. I don't think it's harsh to criticise the show as a whole for their existence, but the Federation weren't pretending that they were anything other than card filler. So overall, I'm going for a slightly higher score here than I probably would have done going in. And from a pure start of the show to end of the show perspective, a little higher than it warrants. But taking everything into into consideration, what they wanted this pay-per-view to do, and as a bit of extra, you know, we've all over the last 20 minutes given them what they deserve, but a bit of extra credence even still for how well everybody managed to hold it together in the main event. And it's something everybody should watch. Angle bump very much aside, but it's something everybody should watch for just how intelligent these performers are. Now, it's very easy to label them as just a bunch of meathead wrestlers, but it takes it takes guts and it takes brains to come up with something like that with millions of people watching you worldwide live on pay-per-view and there's no hiding place. Triple H very much included. I'm very happy to say that on this occasion. So I'm actually going to go for a six and a half for this show. Wrestling-wise, isn't a six and a half despite the best efforts of all the usual suspects who we talked about earlier you've got yourself of course a match of the year on here as well so for that alone and the shame bump and courage for courage it was misplaced though it might have been in the face of adversity it's a show you probably really need to check out in the books is a six and a half the overall thoughts score out of ten Sorry, I lost you guys. We're good. Yep. Uh, overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, I, I walked into this event. Well, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I walked into this episode of our show, which I love doing so much, um, with a lower score than I ended up giving it. So I wasn't really looking forward to anything other than Jericho Benoit, TLC, Triple Threat. And um, I had higher expectations than I should have for Kane and Undertaker. But um, with everything that we just discussed uh, at length, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at a six only because um, Taz and Lawler, as much as we have our, you know, feelings about Taz and his lack of good booking, like I just feel like the crowd helped that match and, and JR plays, they all played their part really well. Um, the Steve, the Steve Blackman and Shane, I wasn't expecting that big bump. I was expecting, uh, Blackman to get his title back and, or I expected another screwy finish with Shane keeping the title and taking it, uh, into the future. But 
So there were surprises. Um, I was expecting more with the Intercontinental Championship match, but with all the performers involved, since they're all good performers, but it, it, it fell flat to me. And uh, X-Pac and Road Dog was like a blah to me. RTC, I'm a big fan of them. And uh, TLC and Triple Threat match, nothing more can be said about all those performers that were involved in those two matches. I really enjoyed this pay-per-view more so than I thought I was. And I was disappointed with a ma- with a few matches that I thought was going to be better. But I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at a six, a good six, strong six, um, maybe leaning a little higher. But I'm gonna leave it at a six for this pay per view. Um, all performers did their jobs. They all clocked in, did their job, and clocked out. And um, with a few uh, a few lows, but more highs than lows. So. I'm going to do, I don't know what score I'm going to give this, so I'm going to just run through the card. I'm going to start on a five, bang in the middle. I'm going to run through this card and plus or minus based on each match. So opening six-man tag, I'm going to stay neutral on. We're sticking on a five. X-Pac and Road Dog, I'm probably going to go minus half a mark for that. Uh, Intergender, Intercontinental title, another half a mark for me. I think I wanted more from it and the, uh, the, the outcome disappointed me so we're down to a four lawler v taz a minus and one for that so we're down to a three mm-hmm. blackman uh shane mcmahon we're back up to a four uh we've got to give props to shane for that bump basically just the whole point just for that benoit jericho we're going back up to a five tlc two whole marks going up to a seven Minus a mark for the Cat and Terry. Minus a mark for Taker and Kane. We're back at a five. Main event, they handled it well. I'm landing on a six. There you go. There that we worked go. out pretty well. That did work out pretty well. And I think the six is a fair score. I mean, yeah, there, there are some lows as this demonstrates. But I think the fact that I finished on a six overall through the strength of that TLC match, it shows like the match of the year candidate really... Oh, yeah. Um, did a lot to mean that this show ended up the wrong side. The, the, sorry, the good side of average. So yeah, I definitely check out SummerSlam because there's some brilliant stuff on this show. So one final thing that came up when we were sort of planning what we were going to talk about on this show uh, before. So before we wrap up and go home, really sort of outside of the whole bubble of what we've discussed so far and, and building to SummerSlam and the pay-per-view itself. But it's just Joe. So, or, or at the very least, the, the concept of, of this new character um, that you may not be familiar with if you uh, don't watch all of the TV or, and we certainly haven't mentioned it on this show. Um, so he's been a new character on WWF TV who will show up, spread rumors, and he's got a little catchphrase Sorry. afterwards. Don't, sh- don't shoot the messenger. The whole gimmick, sort of a glorified plot device, really. So he instigates trouble between different wrestlers, um, typically on heat, and he'll set up matches on heat because uh, he'll instigate, create a spread of rumor about two wrestlers. Um, that will lead to a match being um, someone, someone will challenge the other to a match, and that will get booked and put in the ring within half an hour. Um, Rory, you sort of highlighted this as one of the things we should discuss. So what what do you make of this character? And particularly, he did have a slightly more prominent role towards the end of the month. 
Yes, just to fill in a few blanks, there's probably more than a few, but the ones I'm going to colour in for you. Uh, just Joe is played by Joe E. Legend. Uh, done a lot of work on the indies for a good uh, seven or eight years or so. Uh, good buddies with and working partners at Edge and Christian, as the way he pronounces the word about should make abundantly clear. Uh, he's been on the Federation's radar for a while. There was talk of him coming in with Christian uh, towards the end of 1998, but that didn't materialise. But he's here now and he's not being called upon to do any work in the ring. His role, as Chris has illustrated, is to be the messenger. And two things I just want to touch on here about this character. Number one, it's the rather obvious element that it's, as we're all getting a lot smarter now as fans, it's the Federation having a bit of a dig in the ribs at some of the talent who may or may not be leaking news stories to certain publication writers. That's where all the boys in the back stuff comes from. It's pretty heavy handed. You don't need to go too deep to know that that's the subtext, if even you can call it subtext of this one. So it's again, it's Vince being years behind the facts. And this stuff has existed for about probably about two decades now, if not longer. And here's Vince finally working out where they get all their information from and having a jab at it on his own television program, Vince gonna Vince. Uh, secondly, they could have something a bit more with it, though, if they do develop the character. And where they've gone on the Raw and SmackDown after this, where he heard commotion in the McMahon-Helmsley dressing room and the camera caught him looking surprised at first and then a couple of seconds later, his face changing as if to say, oh, I'm really going to try to stir something up now and then tells Angle what has happened and then subsequently Triple H is arrested for spousal abuse. Are we getting a situation here with this Joe character that he's doing a lot more than just relaying the news that he's his character has some sort of agenda? Is it going to play into the love triangle some way? At this point, we don't know. But I just thought it was worth mentioning on this programme. I wasn't if it had just been what we'd had seen leading up to SummerSlam, I don't think it would have been important. But rather than just Vince's own jollies on screen and how many times have we talked about that over the last seven years, there could be a bit of substance to this character. Let's see. I certainly hope so. Like Chris is on mute. Devinda, uh, your thoughts quickly on the Just Joe character while Chris comes back. Apologies. He's back. He's back. <laughs> um. So with Just Joe, I, I don't. He's more in an annoyance to me. Like he's just. <laughs> I mean, grow, growing up in New Jersey, I, I I was taught never to say anything. You know, you you put your head down, you mind your business. So maybe it might be my roots that don't like him at all. Um, I, I, I don't know. The only thing I can think about while, while I was watching all the TVs, I see him popping up. He was getting to a more, a, a bigger role because he was talking to a lot bigger wrestlers and I guess information, you know, information has, you know, value in a world like that, especially when you're being so competitive, you want to be champion and you want to better your career. 
But um, I don't know if he's gonna be in the love triangle. I I don't know if this character has any legs to it. If it does, what I'd like to see, and I was, I was thinking about, I was like, it'd be funny that if if he lasts until the Royal Rumble, you can do a spot where he comes in, and he's kind of just whispering shit to people, and kind of making them turn on themselves, and then he just eliminate them while they're fighting. That would be a spot that I would write for just Joe. If he were to make it to the Royal Rumble, you know, he comes in, he kind of pulls one guy to the side, like, "Oh, this guy said something about you," and then it's like, "Really?" And then they start the fight, and I think I would, I would run a good five, ten minutes of that in the Royal Rumble. But I, I don't see any legs to this character. Uh, I just see him getting his ass kicked by somebody one day and then disappearing. Yeah, I think the the, the basic concept of the character has it does have legs. It, it could be something. I don't know that it means I'm not talking like main event level something, but like you could use this and I think there's potentially something there. It could just be more than exposition on like a C level show. Um, I, I don't know. Is as you point out, Rory is, is Vince being <laughs> finger on the pulse as always. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but I think like I don't know. This is this is like the idea I don't hate. And um often with these like Vince like when he like finally catches up to where popular culture was or where like the business was like ten years prior and he does a gimmick out of it, like usually it's it's rubbish. I'm not saying this is great. Um, but I think there's potential, so I'm 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 like kind of like ambivalent for now. We'll see how it goes. Um, I'd like to see sort of what happens next month with this, uh, and uh, so like open-minded for now, and we'll see, we'll see basically one to watch. And I think that will do it and bring to a close this three-hour edition of uh, the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and our August 2000 coverage. Uh, Rory, thank you so much for being on the show. Excellent contributions as always. Um, would you like to get some plugs in? Always a pleasure, Chris. Great to be on this show with you today. Yep, you can also hear my musings on a bit of modern day wrestling, a bit more retro stuff on the special relations show on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network with my pals Ben Locke and Callum McDougall. Uh, we drop a show there every month. I have another one that's uh, also you will find there at the beginning of each month called Seen Your Video, where I look at a certain randomly, semi-randomly selected Coliseum video from the home video classics section of the WWE Network. Uh, the most recent one up there is me taking a look at World Tour 8990, of all things. Uh, Honky Tonk Man versus... Oh, who's Honky Tonk Man versus Jim Duggan, Boris Zukov versus Jimmy Snooker, all the instant classics assessed and reviewed by me on there. So do check that one out on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. And of course, do check out our social media, Wrestling 20 Years, on the Twitter for all news and anything... Uh, that we might have coming up forthcoming for you over the next couple of weeks. Uh, another special show might be in the offing before too long, so keep it locked on the Twitter for any news on that. And also to Devinda Vargas, thank you for being on. Uh, great analysis and always a pleasure having you on these shows. Um, please feel free, floor is yours, get, get some of your plugs in because I know you're a very busy guy. Uh, yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's always, always fun to 
you know, watch this stuff and, you know, in retrospect, you have uh, a different view on some of the stuff that we watch and it's, it's always a good time. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, I am now sponsoring Mission Pro Wrestling, Hell Hath No Fury, going down uh, September 18th in Buda, Texas at Pinball's Kingdom, uh, streamed on the Title Match Network. I'm working closely with Thunder Rosa and her team um, to uh, make sure that this this uh, event is as historic as I know it's going to be because it's the first wrestling promotion where women hold every position in the company. It is not only an all-women's promotion, but is literally an all-women's promotion. There is a uh, Thunder Rosa is running it. She is the owner of it. Um, you have Robin Reed, who's the booker. Jazz is the road agent. Uh, you have uh, Brittany and Nicole and Holiday calling the matches. We have uh, female referees, uh, female ring announcers. So it's a it's a big step toward the future of women in pro wrestling and i'm really honored to be a part of that that's the big project i have going on i've been doing instagram lives on my instagram account dnc digital uh my last one will be on tuesday with roxy who is the heart and pride of texas 18 years old already in um booker t's promotion reality of wrestling as their champion um, so it's a lot of movement um, in the wrestling world. On in my end, um, my YouTube is still going on. I'm doing my podcast as we are not allowed to do events. Uh, DNC Digital on YouTube. You can also find me at DNC Digital on Twitter and Facebook. Um, it's it's been it's been fun. It's it, it it's a it's a wild ride. I'm pretty busy now. These past three days, I've been doing Instagram lives, and today we do this show. So it's it's fun to be busy, and it's a lot of fun to be working with a lot of uh, very driven people who want to achieve their goal. All these Instagram lives, also you can see on my YouTube at DNC Digital. It's pretty much the central hub to all my stuff. But uh, yeah, that's what I got going on, and it's uh, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna take the weekend off and get some rest. It sounds very well earned, the rest. <laughs> I think it got a lot on. Um, but yeah, awesome. Make sure you check out both uh, Rory and Dee's uh, other projects. They're always uh, great value on these shows and in anything else they do um, in the sphere of professional wrestling, as I'm sure they are in all walks of life. Uh, but I have been your host, uh, Chris White. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, to this episode of the podcast we'll be back with september in a few weeks and until next time goodbye